Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, April 22nd, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. So I requested of Rev. He never does what I ask him to because I don't have the authority to ask him to do anything. I got a lot of authority to ask him to do it. I don't have any authority to tell <laughs> ask, him to do ask anything. Ask away anytime. Yeah, I can ask a lot. Yeah. I just can't tell much of anything. <laughs> Uh, in my good old truck body days, I could tell people no. to do certain things. I can't tell anybody to do anything anymore. <laughs> Have you ever asked I've, me to do anything that I didn't? Mm, no, no but you, I don't you, ask you to do much. Can you name one? No, that's true. I, I don't ask that's you true. to do much. But, uh, yeah, I asked him to um, to print off. I didn't imagine it would be this much. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, – I mean, I'm ready to go to trial. I mean, all I need is a nice suit and a briefcase. I could probably <laughs> drum up a nice suit. I don't know if I've got a briefcase anywhere, but I've got a stack of papers here that, um, it took me all afternoon to I print can imagine. That and I organize can imagine it, it, see the nice clips. It would cost me clips and- 30 bucks at Office Depot to go do that. So um, thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. I'm um, I'm nearly equipped to go to trial. The reason <laughs> that I'm um, printing off all this over the weekend, I'll try to study some of these, um, I think it's 19 or 20 exhibits that will be a part of the trial. That um, I mean, This is going to be very interesting. Trust me, guys, this is going to be very interesting if it goes to trial. I don't know that it goes to trial. There may be some agreement. Uh, settlement uh, before we get to that point but um the county is being sued by a developer and i've got all the legal documents included in the proceedings and um it's quite the uh, it's quite the stack here and um i'll try to take some of this over uh, the weekend and uh, make heads or tails as a layperson can not a lawyer kind of um <laughs> the late james Schofield. You know, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine in politics, was probably as good a lawyer as I've ever seen in my life and never spent a day in law school. <laughs> um, I'm serious. If I ever got in bad trouble, I'd probably have called James instead of a lawyer and say, hey, man, here's what I think I've got, and here's how I think I need help. And um, he was just kind of a self-taught, uh, a little bit like Lincoln, uh, just a bright man and had a lot of um, intellectual horsepower out of address so the name of today's show could be i've got two choices you ready mm-hmm. i mean it's obviously take monday to make friday edition of wake up carolina but we can call today's show that didn't last long <laughs> and dedicate it to cnn plus <laughs> right or we can call it excuse me it's still early children aren't up yet right yeah be careful you ready yep have a round and find out <laughs> <laughs> mess with ron desantis if you will yeah Disney. and um something is established as the reedy creek investment district improvement improvement district there you go uh, i've said that a hundred times investment district and, and i know all about the, the water improvement district the i mean they're they're improvement districts and special districts galore all over the country um this is no different let's start with cnn i'll take a little joy and when i when i see cnn plus i see chris wallace i'm mean, the um the guy that fled you know, all the conservative nonsense at Fox News uh, when Tucker Carlson made some some uh, uh, accusations about um, about things that Wallace was not comfortable with, in particular the 2020 presidential election when Tucker kind of went down the road of the January 6th um, uh, videos and what happened, what may not have happened, how involved the FBI, um, kind of an indictment of quote-unquote the man. Chris Wallace said that's it. I mean, I can't affiliate nor associate with that. Um, I mean, I'm a relevant Sunday morning figure. As relevant as a Sunday morning figure can be, Chris Wallace was that relevant. I mean, it, it, there was a day that sitting behind that podium or desk on a Sunday morning, uh, the days of David Brinkley, even Tim Russert, um, I mean, that was a big deal. I mean, th- there's no doubt about it. It was a big deal. Um, not so much any longer. Their audience has dwindled. And, and I, I want to say this. 
Had CNN had 20 million viewers to its free service, I would understand. You can get a little more, but you got to pay something for it. We've got this large audience. We've got 20 million people every night hanging on every word we utter. Um, CNN had 20 million voters at one time in its, in, it, in its entire existence, the OJ escapade. They had about 18 to 20 million viewers during that period of time. Um, they were kind of the tr- most trusted name in news. I mean, they really were. Um, Norm MacDonald does a stand-up, and Norm MacDonald does a, he calls it a 12-minute joke. And the 12-minute joke is about the news. Uh, Norm MacDonald passed away recently from, from cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, very talented comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, intellectually sarcastic. What, would that be a fair way to... I mean, he was a smart guy, and you could tell he was a smart guy, but he would always make you wonder if the joke's on me or you. Uh, kind of a genius in that regard. But Norm MacDonald said... Um, and, and he does it in his own stylistic. We could play it, but there's a lot of language that we'd have to bleep out, and it would be. Um, it's just not for public. It is for public consumption, but you got to go to YouTube and find it. But anyway, he's got a, he's got a stand-up bit where he does the 12-minute joke, and he says, um, you know, there's a reason that for most of our lives the news has been 30 minutes. It's about all the news there is. <laughs> and he starts talking about, you know, we even get to the end where they start talking about there was this lady named Mary and now Mary's missing. And I'm inside this building talking about Mary missing. And, you know, let's go outside where we got another reporter standing talking about Mary missing. And he said, um, and then a week later, you know, the, the insider reporter, the guy, and I'm talking about Norm McDonald here, the insider guy, the outsider guy, you know, all of a sudden the outside guy standing in front of a, you know, a thicket of woods. And that's never good when they're talking about the missing person and now they're in front of the woods. Uh, Mary's not going to c- come hopping out of the woods saying, wow, I took a long walk into the woods for the past four or five days. But the 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 gist of the moral, uh, excuse me, the Norm McDonald stand-up is 24-7 is a lot of time to dedicate to news. And you got to create news. you got to make news. A lady missing. Um, Norm McDonald actually says, I don't give a blank because I don't know Mary anyway. I mean, I'm... In a weird way, I'm kind of glad it is Mary, not somebody I know personally. Um, but that's the, you know, I mean, stand-ups don't have much of a, uh, a, a company, excuse me, not a company, a governor. I mean, they, they right. do whatever yeah. they uh, feel like needs to be done. But anyway, the, he makes a valid point in, you know, maybe 30 minutes is about the right amount of time every day to tell us what's going on in the world. Now we've got this 24-7 news cycle. We're inundated uh, continually with things that are newsworthy and a lot of things that aren't newsworthy. Um, Rev hears me joke around with Fox News. We got the television on Fox News in the morning, and they'll have this crazy story that has nothing to do with anything. But I guess they've got 24 hours in the day. And what do you say? I say that's, that's not news. That's not news. I mean, it's not Fox News. It's called Fox whatever um, we can fill the time with. I mean, you know, the, the, the cable news network, cable whatever we can fill the time with network, Fox whatever we can fill the time with network. Um, MSNBC, I guess the news would stand for whatever we can feel uh, the time with. But uh, but anyway, CNN, had they, you know, if they, if they had 15, 20 million viewers, they could probably offer a premium service. Uh, $5.99 a month, $59 a year, I think was the, um, the way the math worked. Uh, the culprit in this, or the genius in this, uh, is obvious now that Zucker's, and I'm talking about um, Jeff Zucker, his reign is cemented. I mean, his legacy is cemented because from what I've gathered, um, Disney is, um, excuse me, uh, we'll get to that. Um, CNN 
is being taken over by Warner Discovery. Warner Brothers Discovery is a kind of a media conglomerate, the Discovery Channel and Warner Brothers. Um, they're the ones actually shutting down CNN Plus, and it's a streaming service. Chris Wallace left Fox News to go be, I guess it's um it's cleanup hitter. Um, they're going to shutter the the company, the service, um, April thirtieth. That is exactly one month after it first launched. I mean, imagine that. McKinsey talked CNN executives, uh, not not Warner Brothers Discovery, because Warner Brothers Discovery. There's some internal emails I read in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, where the executives from Warner Brothers Discovery uh, discouraged Zucker and his leadership team from doing this, uh, and they basically say, "Look, man, we're having a trouble gaining an audience for free." I mean, people aren't dying to pay more money for Don Lemon and Wolf Blitzer. You know, let's be careful about this. But Zucker, because he knows everything, the liberal left knows everything, mm-hmm. and they'd rather not be profitable um, as long as they're getting paid. As long as they, they don't care what the standing of the shareholder and they're, is. they're kind of in their bubble of, hey, this is great. Everybody loves everything we say and do. Well, I mean, everybody in their bubble does. Right. You know, I mean, we're not in their bubble. We know how unserious they become. Uh, it's laughable that they call themselves a news network. I mean, you got scandal after scandal and hypocrisy after hypocrisy. And it's pretty sad because when I think of CNN, you know what I think of? The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of CNN is Ted Turner at the Atlanta Braves. I mean, it was kind of the sister of TBS. Yeah. You know, you had a brother, TBS, and a sister, CNN, and Turner's going to broadcast all the Braves games around the country on the Superstation, um, and that worked out. Mm-hmm. And then the, the baby sister, CNN, you know, that, that was the 24-hour news. Um, and everybody's like, you can't put news on television. Norm McDonald said, you can't put news on television for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, you really can't. But Turner gave it a much more admirable effort than Zucker and some of these libs who have taken over the media. So it's really sad. Ted Turner was a fairly liberal guy, but, but he wasn't a nut. I mean, there's a difference in being a liberal guy and being a nut. I mean, the people running CNN today are just nuts. I mean, they're not just liberal guys, liberal ladies. They're, they're, they're back crap crazy. And, um, and you're right, Rev, when they live in the bubble of other back crap crazy liberal nuts, they don't appear to be as back crap crazy and liberal as the average American perceives them to be. But um, CNN's incoming CEO, and this is uh, kind of a, this is a, a leftover, um, excuse me, this is the guy coming with Warner Brothers and, and Discovery um, because he is the incoming CEO. But he informed Executive Vice President Andrew Morse yesterday, who oversees CNN Plus, um, of his decision to terminate the service, um, licked, L-I-C-H-T, then went to CNN Plus staffers and told them, thank them for this incredible uh, successful launch. And it's not your fault that you had the rug pulled out from underneath. It's not your fault. Uh, but if you're a staffer, if you're an employee and you're there, there to do a job and you're running a camera on CNN Plus or you're writing content for CNN Plus or you're drumming up interviews for CNN Plus, it's not your fault. I mean, you're not in a leadership position or role at the company. And to some degree, I have sympathy for those people. I mean, they're workers. They need jobs. I have no sympathy for Chris Wallace. I have no sympathy for, um, what's this guy's name, uh, Chris Licht. But I have no sympathy for Warner Brothers and, and Discovery. I have a little bit of um, I, newfound admiration for the guys at Warner Brothers and Discovery. They profess, now I don't know how true this is, but they swear uh, that they're going to turn CNN back to what it needs to be, and that is a hard news agency that does not get involved in, you know, liberal, conservative 
uh, leaning politics, but rather calls it like they see it. Now, here's the problem. If you're going to dedicate yourself or rededicate yourself to sincerely trying to call things as they are, who in the journalism profession are you going to hire that doesn't work at Fox News? I mean, I don't know where you go to find a, uh, you know, an unbiased journalist. I mean, where do you go to find a guy or a lady who says, yeah, hire me at CNN and I'll do the best I can to tell you exactly what the truth is in this matter. There aren't many of those oh, people good left. Question. Well, I mean, the majority of those people have blogs and they have, you know, websites. They're, they're doing this, um, that they're a part of the decentralization of media. So, yes, I mean, if, um, if this un- incoming CEO, Chris Licht, um, and, and I got to believe he took a little joy and glee in informing um, the, the, the executive vice president of the Zucker regime um, that, um, hey, man, we're, deter- we're terminating this service. Now, now here's, the, um, here's the genius in all of this. You ready? You, you've, got, you've got a story. You've got another story. And another. You've got, you got Discovery and Warner Brothers coming in. Uh, there's a new sheriff in town. But here's, the, um, here's the, the, the people that deserve all the credit. How in the world did the, the, the consulting company McKinsey convince CNN to spend $300 million? Um, that's kind of a down payment on the $1 billion that we're going to spend convincing them that you don't have an audience of a million people yet. I mean, you've been in business a long time. You, you've referred to yourself, and others have, as the most trusted name in news, but your audience has been in perpetual decline, and right now you don't have a single show Unless something crazy happens, like OJ kills somebody, you don't have a single show. Somebody else, you don't have a single show um, that that rates at a million viewers. So we're going to try to figure out a way to lure Chris Wallace from Fox, pay him an extravagant amount of money, um, and charge people five ninety nine a month for something they aren't watching for free. McKinsey is who you need to hire if you ever get in a place where you need something hawked or sold. Call McKenzie, because if they can convince these morons at CNN to spend $300 million, pledge a billion. I mean, they really had. They had a budget of a billion dollars over the next five years, so I think four years, they were going to spend, that's $250 million bucks a year on something that had 10,000 viewers or users. I don't think it's viewers. I think it's called users, subscribers is the uh, terminology here. So, yeah, it's not your fault if you're on the camera at CNN. It's not your fault if you're a content writer at CNN. It's not your fault if you're trying to run down gas for Chris Wallace's show or Wolf Blitzer. I mean, what is it called? More Wolf? <laughs> right. I mean, seriously. I mean, what, did what he you, get enough Wolf for yeah, I mean, free? Well, I mean, nobody wants to watch Wolf in the afternoon. Nobody watched Lemon at night. Nobody watched Chris Cuomo at night. Nobody's watching any of these people. And and McKenzie convinced them to spend three hundred million bucks. What was the uh, what was the fee that McKenzie charged? I mean, there, there's, I mean there, there's no criminality here. <laughs> Nobody but a gun to anybody's head. But, He's um, the only one that earned his money. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you better believe it. Somebody at McKenzie needs a pat on the back. Uh, the, the CEO of McKenzie needs to um, compensate the team at, at McKenzie that convinced CNN uh, this is in your best interest and this is something smart to do. Um, they actually, McKenzie convinced CNN. I read the article. Con, uh, McKenzie convinced CNN that the first few seconds of their uh, first ever broadcast, in other words, the first three minutes of CNN Plus were going to be archived in some sort of NFTs. You know what? That is a non-fungible token. I don't understand all of that. We got callers that can maybe help me with some of that, but um, it's kind of a um, uh, Dorsey's first tweet is a non-fungible token. 
there's a unique value there. It's a digital commodity or digital asset that has a unique value. That's the best way I can understand it. I may, I may have said it better. A digital asset that has unique value. Uh, and they believed that the first couple of three minutes of the you know the live broadcast were going to be archived and um, and some some and some uh, probably traded in some sort of cryptocurrency. I would imagine Ethereum or Bitcoin. Um, but anyway, I, the article explained that um, uh, not many offers on the first. They may be more valuable now because it may be the biggest joke in the history of the news business. I mean, think about this, guys. I mean, think about Baghdad. I mean, think about what happened the think night that Bernard, Bernard, Shaw. Yeah, Bernard Shaw was holed up in Baghdad and CNN was reporting to the world in, in the first person in, in a very ah, spectacular way. You know what was going? Remember the lock, the the lasers. I mean, excuse me, the tracers and the the bullets and the gunfire. And I mean, Saddam Hussein was launching those Scud missiles. Yeah. Didn't know where the hell they were going, but he was launching them everywhere. And he had the tracer bullet after tracer bullet and the American, you know, um, arsenal, the Air Force trying to or the Air whatever I'm saying, say Air Force. That's a, a branch of the of the uh, armed forces, but all of the branches have air assets. Our, our fighter jets. There you go. Our fighter jets. Uh, we're flying over Baghdad, bombing Baghdad. What's it called? Shock and all. Isn't that kind of what we refer to it as? Shock and all. But, I mean, CNN was at its pinnacle. I mean, it was as big as it had ever been. How many of our televisions were on CNN? How many of us were in front of our televisions watching CNN? I mean, they had earned that. I mean, they really and truly were probably at that time the most trusted name That's where everybody in turned news. to watch that. But they just sold their soul. I mean, they were drifting this way to begin with. But when Trump got elected or when Trump became a legitimate candidate, they basically sold their soul and destroyed, and I mean absolutely destroyed, an iconic name in television and media. Whether you like them or not, CNN is an iconic um, legacy name in media, but they're, they're not Johnny Come Lately any longer. They've been on the air a long time and covered very important events, but they had Trump derangement syndrome, and they just wanted him gone so bad and wanted him damaged so bad one of his followers and his voters and his his loyal army to be disparaged and uh they just sold their soul and um and it's kind of a uh, you get what you deserve uh we got a good word in pam we got a word in pamplico called goody this was what real polite people say it's about as close as my mom would ever come to cussing you out <laughs> i mean if my mom ever said goody nine you knew exactly what she meant you'd kind of rather her you know lay some profanities on you <laughs> than say goody uh, but to CNN, uh, that didn't take long. Uh, 300 million, <laughs> three, one month. Uh, what's the burn rate? We always talk in politics. What is the burn rate? It's a bunch. I, wonder I what can assure you Chris that. Chris Wallace feels like. Do you feel like an idiot? Uh, not really. He got $9 million, I think. I, I would imagine. But but he has any integrity at all. And any, uh, I don't know, any, uh, any caring. Not of what other people think. I mean, it doesn't matter what other people think. But, but you, you know. Why did you leave? What bill of goods were you sold? Uh, was it all about the money? Well, was it really? I mean, I think Chris Wallace left Fox because people at Fox didn't care much for him. And I think he was a secondary figure. I think he liked being, I mean, he's Mike Wallace's son. My dad was on 60 Minutes. <laughs> yeah, he was when his, Tucker Carlson gets uh, more attention well, than I mean, he Tucker does. And even, I mean, when, you know, nobody asked when Chris Wallace, but they even asked, hey, when Bongino going to be a guest? You know, when, when is that Lingram girl? I mean, you know, with Hannity. And I mean, yeah, he became very secondary in that world. So I think he had his feelings hurt. And I think it's just kind of where we're headed in um, the disseminating of information. Take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes.
Got a lot of stuff to get to today, but I want to make sure we, um, I mean, th- there's a standing invitation for any legislator that wants to come in this morning. I'm going to try with the weekend to get more familiar with this lawsuit involving the county and this developer and try to get somebody from the county over, uh, to agree to come on the radio. They may be, uh, their, their legal representatives may be telling them uh, it's an ongoing lawsuit. It's a pending lawsuit. Might not be able it's to a current lawsuit. Publicly. We can't give any comments. Um, I, I still think the public deserves to know to some degree exactly how we got here and um, and what the challenges are. So so I'll try over the weekend to do that. I do have a special price. So, so in the 8 o'clock hour, I have no idea who's coming. I know that Representative Jordan can't come. He and I talked yesterday, and he's out of town. Uh, don't know about Representative Lowe or not, but he's got a standing invitation um, I actually reminded them yesterday they have a standing invitation uh, to come on the show any time they choose to come on the show as long as it's on Friday. I mean, obviously, if something crazy happens, and I'm trying to be respectful of their time, and I would offer the same opportunity to those in Sumter and Orangeburg. I mean, if you're a duly elected state legislator, um, Friday mornings are the time we're going to dedicate for you to come in. And the reason I'm doing it on Friday, um, you know, they're in session, the General Assembly's in session uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and we can kind of give a recap of what happened and forward-looking into uh, what may happen next week. So in the 8 o'clock hour, they may or may not be here, um, have no, no confirmation except from Jordan can't come. Uh, but Robert Cahaley, uh, one of the preeminent pollsters in America today, will be with us uh, at about 8.05. Robert and I talked yesterday about some things, and um, and I've got some questions for Robert. I think it's a good time to get him on the show. One We've of got my a, favorite guests. Yeah, we... but he's a, a, an incredibly informed pollster. Robert Cahaley couldn't get elected dog catcher, but he knows more about the science and data and analytics of politics than anybody I know. I didn't say he knows anybody more than anybody, but he knows more than anybody I know. I mean, I can't do a better job or service for our listening audience when it comes to the analytics of American politics than Robert Cahaley. And I've got something here. I mean, I've got a list here. Ohio Senate, Arizona Senate, Pennsylvania Senate, Georgia governor. Uh, I don't have Georgia Senate race because Herschel's going to be the Republican nominee. I mean, he's going to win that. I mean, Herschel's going to be uh, the nominee of the Republican Party in Georgia against um, Warnock. So I don't know that we'll spend a lot of time on that. These are hotly contested primaries in Ohio, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania. I want to make sure we cover the two congressional races here in South Carolina, the seventh congressional um, race between Tom Rice and a plethora of opponents. Um, Russell Fries, the Trump-endorsed candidate, but there's some others out there that have made waves and and gained some uh, influence and audience. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of discuss that. And then Katie Arrington and Nancy Mace, and I saw yesterday, not that endorsements matter, but I saw where um, Joe Wilson, uh, Congressman Wilson, endorsed um, Katie Arrington. So um, an incumbent going against an incumbent within the Republican and, and Party. the story I read, the headline was Nancy Mace had some choice words. Well, I mean, Nancy always does. For Nancy's full of choice words. <laughs> I mean, I've known that a long time. Really? Nancy's full of choice words. Um, she got in the Trump orbit, and they told Trump, Nancy's full of choice words. Nancy can be a handful. <laughs> Uh, that's that's fairly well known in politics is it? inside the circles yeah i mean she's kind of a handful um and now we've got a hotly contested uh race between she and katie errington and uh, and trump is endorsed in that race so um you've got a, a trump endorsement in ohio and jd vance you've got a trump endorsement in arizona or do we i don't know that trump's endorsed anybody in arizona uh, maybe you can run that know, down yeah. for me blake masters would be the likely suspect he's a, a peter teal funded 
candidate in Arizona. You got Pennsylvania. I don't think Trump is yeah, he's endorsed Dr. Oz. Because if a guy can stay on television 18 years, he can surely win a Senate race as Trump's rationale and reasoning. And then the Georgia gubernatorial race, you've got David Perdue and the incumbent um, Brian Kemp. And I really want Robert to explain um, why he thinks that was smart. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe you say Trump made a mistake in endorsing in that race. And then we know he's endorsed Katie Arrington and uh, Russell Fry. So we'll see how um, what Robert or what Trafalgar's take is on this. Um, I also want to talk to Kahaley about Disney. I mean, they poll some of these issues, Disney, Twitter, and gas prices. It doesn't look like he's endorsed Arizona. So he's yet. not endorsed anybody in Arizona. Interesting. We'll get Robert's take on on that race. So once again, I mean, I'm kind of a blowhard with a uh, an elementary understanding of American politics. Uh, pretty decent candidate. Not a great candidate. Pretty decent candidate. Better getting the job than holding the job. But, uh, but Robert's the guy that can really take us down the road of understanding, you know, what the numbers say, what the analytics are. And um, they build a mousetrap that I think is really defined where the Republican electorate are today. You know, Robert tells me, and I don't think he'd mind me share this, and I say, well, Robert, how was Gallup as wrong as they were? And he said, because Gallup refuses to accept that things are different. Gallup refuses. Um, I'll give you another Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I mean, uh, Wall Street Journal, NBC News. I said, why were they six percentage points wrong? Why did they get this race wrong, that race, this race, that race? Because they, they just refuse to accept. They've got a way of polling and the questions they ask the Republican voters are not the questions the Republican voters have on their mind. The Republican voters have a lot of different sorts of things on their mind. And this really goes back to the point of confliction. You know, where we're conflicted, what, what is the epicenter of that confliction? And I think we're all battling and struggling, trying to figure out exactly uh, where that is. Speaking of Disney, let's do this first. Let's, um, let's talk about Twitter for a second, because uh, I want to talk to Robert about Twitter. Disney and gas prices. They do a lot of polling on um, gas prices, the effect it has on elections. Um, what do Republicans think about Twitter? What do Republicans think about about Disney? Um, Elon Musk has officially um, submitted an offer to Twitter, um, and it's it's as valid as can be. It's not a tweet. It's not a um, you know. It's not a, a, a cryptic. Uh, how many tweets in cryptic anyway? But it's not one of these. Uh, this gotta, is the tender offer the, with. Well, I mean, I, I don't know this is the tender okay, offer yet. But it's with the backing. It, of Morgan it's with Stanley. the banking. He's got about twenty-five billion dollars in debt from Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and Barclays. I mean, that's secured. Bank of America says yes. Barclays says yes. Morgan Stanley says yes. Um, as long as Musk personally commits about $21 billion in equity. Now, he's doing that. I mean, he's going to commit $21 billion, and that would be the uh, the debt equivalent of making a down payment on a house. I mean, if they're going to finance 80% or 60% or whatever that number is. I mean, you know, the bank's not, well, in the wild, wild west days, they did. They financed 100% of the purchase, but they're well, not doing that any longer. If the, what if I mean, the price is 46 And he's had to put about $62 billion of Tesla stock as collateral. So it's a it's a um it's not a, a big risk or it doesn't seem to me to be a big risk for uh, Morgan Stanley Bank of America and Barclays very creative I would imagine now Goldman passed J P Morgan passed they they would be the two big finance houses that said thank you but no thank you we don't want any part of that now you always wonder about what Goldman's up to what J P Morgan's up to but he has secured financing of twenty five billion dollars ready to roll. Ready to roll. He's got to put up $62.5 billion of Tesla stock as collateral, and he's got to liquidate to $21 billion. We talked about Tesla stock at the end of the show yesterday. Um, 
Tesla stock had a real good run. That was it was earnings driven. I found out, you know, watching CNBC last night, it was earnings driven. Oh. But but a lot of this could have been a product of Elon not selling sixty million dollars worth of Tesla stock. Now once again, he's using the stock as collateral. I mean, he's got uh, how much how much stock does he have? That's about one third of his stake. So he's got a say say that's sixty million, one hundred twenty, one hundred eighty million. He's got about one hundred eighty five billion dollars worth of Tesla stock. So there you go. I mean, the guy's worth two hundred and fifty billion, and about one hundred and sixty billion of that is in um, Tesla stock. Excuse me, one hundred eighty billion is in Tesla stocks. Really, about one hundred ninety billion when you break the numbers down. Maybe more than this after the run up Tesla had yesterday. Um, but anyway, collateral for bank loans. I mean, we would use a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, or we trade in our car. Or, or, you know, the, the equity we had in our old home. I mean, he's flying at a different level, but, but the, uh, the math, I mean, the math is different, but the model stays the same. So, yeah, I mean, he's got a, um, a legitimate offer on the table. Um, he's had some, or Morgan Stanley, from what I gathered, had some questions about Twitter's debt load, that they weren't real clear about what the debt was and, and what, you know, um, so some of the commitments they'd made, um, if Musk does this, and I think he's going to do it. I mean, I think they the more they fight him, the more motivated he seems to be. And I just think Elon Musk is going to end up owning Twitter, uh, along with Morgan Stanley and uh, the, these other banks, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and Barclays. Um, I mean, they don't have any interest in running Twitter. They just want to make sure they get paid the, you know, the money they loaned to Elon. Uh, it'll be so interesting, guys. And, and this is really, um, I mean, to me, it's ground zero for the biggest problem in America today is that is the, the, the burning or the, uh, the much-needed critical thinking political debate that we're not having in America today. Censorship, freedom of speech, we can argue about whatever we want to argue about, but Twitter and uh, the big tech companies, along with mainstream media, have decided they're not going to debate us. They're just going to shut us down. Instead of, the, instead of winning the war on ideals and principles and, you know, who can articulate their view of the world and how it needs to be governed, uh, they just, you know, decide to shut you down. Uh, if you make valid points on the right, a smaller audience hears it. Uh, if you make, you know, uh, are there any valid points on the left? I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. Eh, eh, maybe one or two. We can give them a little yeah, credit think for. for a while. Yeah, let me I'll come back to that. <laughs> uh, so, come back to that. But um, in, the, uh, in the Wall Street Journal article, kind of an interesting picture, an archived picture, I'm showing Rev here now. You know oh, who these Elon two guys are. Yeah, Elon and Teal beside an old Mac-looking computer. Wow, look how young they look. Yeah, and well, they were young. Yeah, but both were very young. And uh, it was the day that they um, received their first payment on PayPal. The day the first payment was ever transacted on PayPal. It's got Musk on one side of the computer, Teal on the other side of the computer. And I just wondered that those two kids know what lied in or what laid in store. I don't know. Elon already had three million, three hundred million. I think Teal had sold some idea or concept to a computer. It might have been IBM or Compaq. Was there a computer currently uh, Compaq? Yeah. Yeah, I think he sold something to Compaq as a 19-year-old for like $140 million. So both had, you know, north of $100 million <laughs> as um, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. Um, <laughs> what were you doing at 19 and 20? Drinking. <laughs> I think I was playing rock and roll on the radio. Yeah, probably doing some of that too. I was listening to you play rock and roll on the radio. <laughs> there you go. Drinking a cold beer, trying to find. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so so twenty five. Uh, yeah, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Uh, Mike, we'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 
843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. I was thinking about it during the break, and I actually thought about it yesterday. When I look at this picture of Peter Thiel and Elon Musk standing behind an old, was it a MacBook? Not a MacBook. What is it called? Uh, the Mac. Uh-huh. Oh, the Mac. The old plastic, the white-looking plastic computer that weighed about, you know, 100 pounds or I'm at, there I'm you at. go. It was the kind of the original Steve Jobs uh, personal computer. So you've got Teal on one side, Musk on the other side. They've got PayPal on the screen. As, as I've said, this is kind of the, the picture that commemorates the first transaction ever made on PayPal. Um, I'm just thinking about we as Republicans. I mean, when you look at these two guys, they're not the guys you would expect to help us get across the finish line. I mean, they're just not the guys that you would expect to line up with conservative ink. And, well, they don't line up with conservative ink. You know, we touched on this yesterday, Reb, and, and nobody responded. Um, and I yeah, kind of scratch your head and think about it. But but when you look at the Trump, excuse me, when you look at the Bush uh, family and you look at the contributions they made to the Republican Party, I mean, we, we've given them a lot of high praise. George H.W. Bush, we've argued, was as good and decent a man as we've ever had in the White House. Certainly in my lifetime. I mean, my lifetime, my political, uh, I don't know, the the first American president I can remember is Richard Nixon. I mean, I remember Nixon. I remember my mom and dad watching television and Nixon getting on the plane after he'd been impeached and, you know, all the Watergate scandal. I mean, I didn't have a clue what it was about. I mean, I didn't know Woodward and Bernstein. I didn't know anything other than, for some stupid reason, this guy's leaving and he's our president um, Carter being a Southerner was a little bit relatable. He talked like us. He kind of, you know, was a peanut farmer and Plains, Georgia. I mean, that was a little bit relatable to me, but I was only 13 or 14 years old. So I had no understanding or no depth of understanding Reagan wins. And I'm beginning to sense, you know, okay, I understand this is kind of a big deal. When we elect presidents, this is a big deal. Um, this guy makes everybody feel good. He's an optimistic guy. I mean, every day is kind of the 4th of July. Um, so that's my early understandings. Or, or you know, I, I don't know. I, I had no belief. I mean, I don't know what I believed back then. But but I didn't know that Nixon was the president got in trouble. I did know that Carter was a Southerner. My dad not crazy about him because fuel and inflation and some of the th- same things we're dealing with today. It's kind of like um, this is a, a less, excuse me, Carter was a less thuggish um politician than than biden but the the track record's about the same i mean it really reminds me right now of what i've read about what they refer to as carter malaise inflation and gas and i don't know just a um kind of a god just a, a a pessimism amongst the american people about its government uh, reagan gets elected in 80 kind of the reagan revolution um, every day is the 4th of July. Reagan gets high praise and, and high credit and high marks on being a great president. But a lot of Reagan's success was predicated upon um, finding a boogeyman and uniting the country around a boogeyman, and that would have been communism and the former Soviet Union. So Reagan really caught a break in being able to unite people behind something that nobody at the time cared much for, and that was socialism. I don't know if you could rally the country today in the name of opposing socialism. Um, I really don't. I mean, I think half the country have ascribed to that. Half the country have said, okay, um, give me socialism over capitalism because capitalism's unfair and makes me work too hard. Um, so, but, but then comes George H.W. Bush. And, and we've talked a lot about George H.W. Bush refusing to kind of 
carry on with the Reagan revolution because he was not a he was not a revolutionary in his bones and he wasn't really conservative. I mean, he was a um, a country club Republican. He was a um, kind of an elitist from an elitist family. Um, and then, you know, he loses after his first term. Clinton wins because Clinton was a talented politician, period. No more needs to be said. Bill Clinton had a the ability to get people to vote for him. So he wins in, what, 92 and, and 96? And, uh, yeah, 92 mm-hmm. and 96. And then we get George W. Bush in 2000, and he wins again in 2004 by hanging Chad in Florida. Um, and then you get, you know, Obama in 2016. I say that to say this. You look at the Bush family. And the Bush family would have been, I don't know, Rev, the, the catapult to lead to uh, the next generation of Republicans. And when I look at the Bushies and I look at Nicole Wallace, I mean, she was uh, deputy director of communications at the George W. Bush um, uh, White House. And now she's a, a fairly liberal host on MSNBC. You've got Matthew Dowd, who's a frequent visitor to this week with um, George Stephanopoulos and a couple of other shows um, the, the Bush legacy has probably made as many contributions today to the Democrats as they have the Republicans. I mean, it's still the status quo Republican, you know, the, um, the Dick Cheney's of the world, the Carl Rove's of the world, but they don't seem to be the opinion leaders. So the point I'm trying to make is the Bushes have really given the current Republican party, nothing but negatives. Take a break hmm. back in a minute. CNN Plus, we hardly knew thee. <laughs> didn't know thee at all. <laughs> we didn't even know we, thee We didn't get to know thee. We really wanted to get to know thee. McKenzie <laughs> oh, no, took $300 million of your money, or, or convinced you to invest $300 million. Um, nobody watches Wolf for, for free. Maybe they'll pay five ninety nine. dollars Let's go to the phone. Yeah, what's, what's, what's wrong with that model? Yeah. Here is Rick in Sumter listening to WDXY. Morning, Rick. Hey, good morning. Hey, Rick. Um, wondering if I might stir the pot a little bit this morning. Please do. All right. Um, just listening to you in the last segment, talking about the Republican Party direction, where it's going, whatever, um, and also about your history. I was in college during the Carter administration. Um, and, yeah, I, my dad owned a small business. I remember him talking about the inflation. And it was pretty bad. I've always said Carter was probably our best ex-president. And he would admit that. He was a micromanager and such. Um, My problem now is I am the guy that should be voting straight Republican ticket. But I'm not. I tend to veer more toward the libertarian ideas. And I just think back to when Mark Sanford lost to Cunningham. He said there is no Republican Party. There's only the party of Trump. During the last election, the Republicans weren't even able to publish a platform because they had to be open to accommodate whatever Donald Trump said that day that might contradict what he said the week before. And I think that's kind of the problem the Republicans are having now. You've got your MAGA movement, which is totally focused on one man. And people like me just aren't buying that. I would rather vote for some party that had an established platform. Okay, I like three quarters of it, maybe. But I just can't get into the cult of personality that seems to have developed. Rick, I want to play devil's advocate for a second. Is it fair to say that a lot of people probably feel as you do 
but felt they had no choice. In other words, words on a paper simply that. They're words on a paper. There is no action. I mean, the Disney story to me is a very uh, interesting story because uh, when I read the National Review comment sections, the intellectual conservatives say this is not the role of government. The, 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 the modern-day equivalent of the intellectual conservative would say, hit Disney in the head as hard as you need to. Doesn't matter to me. Um, so, so the point I'm trying to make is I think the majority of people feel like you. I think they would rather support a candidate or a party with a coherent, um, libertarian-leaning conservative policy, but they've heard that forever and nobody seems to get anything done. Therefore, the wrecking ball seems to be the reasonable alternative. It, do you think there are a lot of people who feel that way? I agree with you 100% right there, sir. And, you know, I think that we've shifted from, you know, you mentioned the Nixon days, whatever. There used to be a political term back in those days called um, the loyal opposition. That has been totally destroyed, and politics is now a blood sport. But the conservative party, the conservative values that I believe in, would never support people, you know, putting blatant obscenities on T-shirts or on bumper stickers on the back, you know, that FJB stuff and all that. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm repelled by that kind of blood sport. Not only do we want to win, we want to crush our enemies who happen to be our fellow Americans. But if your enemy, but if if your enemy forces your hand, because I'll play devil's advocate for a second, I don't want to crush anybody. I like to win the battle of ideals. But, but it hadn't, it, it's not that today. The, the liberals wish to not just beat you at the ba- ballot box. They wish to, to banish you from the planet. They don't want you on Twitter. They don't want your voice heard. They want censorship. And, I mean, the, the, they, they want to dominate the discourse. So, and I, I'm just so so isn't it understandable or expected that people would kind of shift gears and, and agree to things that they most formerly uh, been, been opposed to? No, sir, I agree with that, and I see how that intellectual and societal shift has happened, and I hate it. I hate it. I see it as being, and I'm not talking Republicans. Sure. I'm not talking Democrats. I'm just talking societal. We have shifted now to where we not only want to defeat our opposition, now we want to destroy our enemies, and that's on both sides, and it's I don't know. I just I see it as being detrimental to our country, the ideals that our country was founded on. And I don't like it on either side. That's why I've kind of wimped out, gone third party um, just to maintain my right to whine and complain. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Appreciate the honesty there. And, I, you know, I don't think Rick and I are on different or well, I mean, we're probably on different bases, but we're not in a different ball field. I mean, I'm not in Fenway, and he's in Wrigley. Uh, I can assure you of that. And uh, and I, I I share the sentiments. I feel the same way he does. I, I would much rather um, people sit on one side of the table who are uh, have a certain belief or hold a certain belief about government. People sitting on the other side of the table hold a certain and different belief, fundamentally different belief about government, and they agree to disagree and try to reasonably address their grievances with one another and come to a better place, formulate a better way to govern, uh, and, and, you know, kind of out of the incomes policy. I mean, I think we all, not all, but the majority of us would rather see that be the case. But at some point in time, you've got to accept that your wife's an alcoholic or your brother's a drug addict 
I mean, you've got to accept that this is reality. As much as I wish it were not, this is where we are. And I can either stand and fight or I can romance nostalgically about what I wish was. I understand exactly where Rick's coming from. I think the country's better when we're respectful of one another, when, when we disagree fundamentally, but we, you know, as Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, you know, have a glass of wine and, uh, you know, the famous story, and I've heard this story a hundred times, um, Chris, Math- yeah, Chris Matthews worked for Tip O'Neill. And Matthews is, um, I mean, he's earned a little credibility with Tip. And Reagan, believe it or not, is to pay a visit to the Speaker's office. I mean, in the good old days, the president would pay a visit to the Speaker's office. Reagan and uh, Chris Wallace gets a call from Tip. Uh, I'm going to be a few minutes late when Mr. President gets there. Please let him into our conference room, and I won't be but just a minute. So Reagan and Chris Wallace walk into Chris Matthews, walk in to the room. Reagan puts his arm on Matthews' shoulder, and he says he nearly craps himself. You know, when he does that, he says, Young man, is this where you guys conspire against me? <laughs> you know, and, and th- th- there's a, there's an eloquence about it. There's yeah. a respectfulness about it. There's a dignity that's involved in that. Reagan wanted what Reagan wanted. Tip O'Neill wanted what Tip O'Neill wanted. But they understood that that ultimately the, the, the job of being president is much bigger than what Ronald Reagan wants. The job of being Speaker of the House is much bigger than what Tip O'Neill wants. What's best for America? Now, now in fairness, Rick has an opinion of what's best for America. I have an opinion of what's best for America. Mike, uh, all of our listeners have an opinion of what's best for America. But we have turned politics into a blood, into a blood sport. Where, where did that and what when I mean, did I, that change I, and I, why? I think, I think Newt Gingrich had a lot to do with that. Really? I, mean, I, I think Newt ushered in um, kind of a no-holes barred. I'm a Republican, and I think Newt's a very, very bright man. I think Rick would agree. Newt Gingrich is probably one of the most intellectual conservatives we had around in a long, long, long time. But Newt, um, Newt was kind of a power monger. He he liked power. He liked control. Very capable man. Um, once again, very smart man. And the Clintons left blood in the water. I mean, every time he turned around, the Clintons were doing something they had no business doing. And I think it, it began this. I mean, I think it's been hyper accelerated recently because uh, I don't believe that a Republican and a Democrat can sit down and reconcile their differences today. I don't think they have any interest in doing that. In fact, I think the, and I think we've turned voters into fan bases. I mean, I really believe that. I think, um, I think the, the Republican Party has a fan. We know damn well Trump has a fan base. And we know that Obama has a fan base. I don't know that Biden has a fan base. I don't know that Romney has a fan base. I mean, they have people that kind of line up behind their uh, governing philosophies. But yeah, I mean, Trump has a fan base. He's the Lakers. You know, Romney's the Celtics. I mean, excuse me, um, Obama's the Celtics. I mean, the Yankees and the Red Sox, the Gamecocks and Tigers. I mean, let's go. You want to go? Let's go. You're a Romney guy. I mean, excuse me, you're an Obama guy. I'm a Trump guy. I don't have any use for you, and I know you don't have any use for me. I'm a fan of this team. You're a fan of that team. You know, let, let's throw punches if we, if we must. And, and I'll say this. The Republican Party in its best, or at its best, and America at its best, DeSantis doesn't screw around with, with Disney, but I think DeSantis is having to play the hand he's dealt. I don't think DeSantis has a choice. I mean, Joe said it yesterday, and, and Joe nailed it. We vote for people today to go fight for things we believe in, whether it's your responsibility or not, whether it's government's job or not. And, and Ron DeSantis, I mean, Disney basically said it's a bad law. They misrepresented the language in the law. And, and you know, when, when you look at the Georgia voting law, Major League Baseball, Coca-Cola, Delta, remember those three companies? We're going to teach you a lesson. Oh, yeah. We're going to teach you a lesson. Well, um, uh, mess around and find out. 
is what DeSantis has shown. And I think DeSantis had to do this. I mean, I think, you know, I think philosophically, I would say, no, don't do that. I mean, if you're going to dress that, address every other um, special district. But, but, and he claims he is, but we know what the impetus is. I mean, it's Disney. We know this. But for the first time in a long time that I can remember, a Republican politician is standing up to a woke corporation in a way that has gotten their attention. I can assure you with that. Disney stock is down 6% yesterday. I mean, the, the board of directors at Disney may not make a public announcement, but behind closed doors, they're telling the CEO, why did you do this? Now, now, they've got a right to be as woke as they choose to be, but DeSantis's argument is you misrepresented the bill. You meddled in places that you have no business meddling in, and we're not going to take it any longer. The, the Major League Baseball took the All-Star game away from the state of Georgia because Joe Biden said it was Jim Crow 2.0. So, so DeSantis is playing hardball. Well, at least we showed them by winning a World Series. Well, I mean, if you're but, Braves fan, but, but, but and, and you're right. But, but, but think about this. And I, I that think, just happened to work but, out. And I don't know that Rick agrees with me or not. But I think DeSantis' hand was forced. Are we going to hit the bully back or not? Are we going to continue to get our ass whipped and not respond accordingly, or are we going to throw a punch? Coke punched conservative, uh, conservative Georgia. You got the conservative element in Georgia wanted to kind of tighten up and restrict some of the um, voting requirements. Um, Delta threw a punch. Major League Baseball threw a punch. Coke threw a punch. And the Republicans took it. They won the policy argument because they've got stricter requirements bill, of voting yeah. today. They passed the bill. But somebody had to stand up to one of these corporations and say, you're not going to misrepresent the truth. Coke said, this is Jim Crow 2.0. Why did you say that? Because the president said it. He doesn't know what he's saying. Biden doesn't have a clue what he's saying, guys. Most of us know that. I mean, he's shaking hands with people that don't exist. He's made a, a terrible flub yesterday. I mean, it's one day, and it gets a little worse as the days progress. Now the Secret Service won't tell us who's going to visit him in, in Delaware. It's probably a medical staff. You know, trying to rejuvenate him and get him medicated oh, to a point that. that he can go back to, yeah, Secret Service won't release some of the names of people who are visiting him in Delaware. He stays in Delaware. I mean, he's in Delaware more than you and I even can imagine. Biden's not at the White House a lot. He's in Delaware. He's a, he's a feeble old man in cognitive decline that needs to be in friendly surroundings. And Delaware's where he's from. That's why they get him back to Delaware. Anybody that's ever dealt with someone with dementia or experiencing cognitive decline, the, the, if you love them, you want to get them a place where they feel comfortable. And he's uncomfortable around all that. You know, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a travesty that the family's allowing him to do this. Not but only allowing, you see uh, the first lady wave, wave I mean, when they're standing I mean, on the balcony. But politics is all they know, Rev. If they can't political hustle, they can't pay their bills. She told him to, she reminded him to wave when he's standing on the balcony of the White House. Sure. The well, I mean, the Easter Bunny kind of led him around the other day. Let's go this way, Mr. President. Yeah. Uh, turn, turn over here. Turn over. I mean, we anybody knows that. I mean, if you don't believe that's the case, but I want to go back to Rick's point because because I mean, there's a there's an interesting article here. Uh, Florida Republicans are right to push back against Disney. Yes, they are. Absolutely, they are. I think it's required today. It's not conservatism. It's certainly not libertarianism, but it's necessary. When, it, when woke corporations continue to punch Republican political leadership in the nose time after time after time again, if you continue to take it, guess what they'll do? They'll continue to throw punches. And now DeSantis has said, mess around and find out. 
And Disney's finding out a real hard lesson about some of the realities and some of the dependency they had on the people they very, very much disrespected. So, yes, I mean, hell yes to DeSantis for taking on Disney. Um, I mean, people say, I'll never go to Disney again. I mean, if I had a grandbaby, I'd go to Disney. I mean, I got no problem with Disney, but, but stand and fight. I mean, if you're going to be the bully at some point in time, somebody's going to stand up. And that's what DeSantis did. And I applaud Ron DeSantis for what he did. I applaud the Florida General Assembly. Is it conservative? No. Is it libertarian? No. Is it right? Hell yeah. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So uh, the libertarian ideology cannot fight the modern Democrat. Uh, you kind of really spoke to that, Ken, you know, that you can't fight a group who weaponizes government against you and seeks to just absolutely destroy you. Yeah, you know, the American working class, the ones that are putting these cuss words on their shirts and on their flags, you know, they're the ones who've been beat up and beat up and beat up and beat up. And the chickens have come home to roost. And, and I understand Rick, and Rick reminds me a lot of my father and his viewpoints on the Republican Party and just wanting to play nice. But it's one thing to play nice with, you know, a country like Canada, but you can't play nice with a country like China. Uh, these people are our enemies, and they seek to destroy us. They're not going to let us go back to our little corner of the world. They're not going to let us go back to South Carolina and govern ourselves under the Tenth Amendment. They're going to they're gonna chase us all the way back to South Carolina from the federal government and beat us down. That's what they try to do in Florida, and Florida fought back. You know, life is kind of like a rubber band. When you, you can stretch it as far as you want to, but one day it's going to pop, and it's going to come back and hit you really hard, and it's going to hurt. And that's what's happening with the Republican Party is these country club Republicans, these boardroom Republicans with their fancy suits beat up on the working class. Well, guess what? The working class is taking over your party, and you can either get on with anti-globalism and anti-corporatism, or I guess you can get out. So thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. Well, I mean, that's where the party is. It's an anti-globalist, anti-corporate party. I mean, that's where it's a pro-working class party. Uh, I mean, it's 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 in it's in uh, it's growing up. I mean, it, it's still an infant because the Republican Party historically has been dominated by conservative thought leaders. I mean, that's the ricks of the world. I mean, I, you know, and I, and I wish that was the case. I really and truly wish that we were at a place where we had these highbrow intellectual conversations about the fundamental role of government. But someone threw a punch. And when you think about it, um, how, many, how many corporations in America today, and I'm talking about mega corporations, let's say the Fortune 500. How many of the Fortune 500 have ever gone on a crusade in support of parental rights and, rights and education or protecting girls' sports? Or religious freedoms. I mean, how many times has a Walmart executive spoken out loudly and proudly about protecting uh, females, competing in female sports, or, or religious freedoms, or, or parental rights, and, you know, knowing what your kid's being taught in school? I've not heard it. I mean, I've heard story after story after story. Why? Why has corporate America responded that way? Because the liberal left has proven they will bully. Mess with us and you'll find out. And as much as I wish that weren't the case, it's naive to not accept that as reality today. And Ron DeSantis is the first Republican that has said, as Pamplico would talk, want some, get some. That's not governing. That's not conservatism. That's not libertarian leaning. You know what it is? It's playing the game the way the game is being played at the moment. 
And and the bully has thrown punch after punch after punch after punch, and we Republicans have grumbled about it, but we've never acted upon it until now. And if you don't believe that corporations in America today are full of CEOs and, and, and senior vice presidents and board of directors calling one another, hey, better be careful over there in Kansas. You know that plant we've got in South Carolina? Better be careful. I mean, that was a shot across the bow, a monumental shot across the bow. There is no bigger entity or enterprise than Disney in Florida. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the cat daddy of, of, of private sector, you know, and job creation and, and all these other sorts of things. Now, DeSantis tried to argue yesterday that this, um, I mean, the governor's office released a statement. I've got it here. The governor's consistently supported a more even playing field for all businesses in Florida. It is not retaliatory to pass legislation. Uh, yeah, it is. It's absolutely retaliatory. Uh, <laughs> it's a retaliation. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I would probably like it better if he didn't include that line. But I get what he's doing. He's trying to, well, you tell what he's trying to do. He's trying to appease Rick. He's trying to make sure Rick knows this is not about me and Disney. This is about conservative policy and these, these carve-outs and special exemptions and, you know, a, a fair playing field. And all. No, it's not. It's retaliation. And it's not retaliation because Disney held an opinion contrary to the legislation you passed. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's because Disney misrepresented the facts. They paid lobbyists to argue that the bill was a don't-say-gay bill, and it's not. It simply it disallows um, uh, sex education or conversations about sex and gender identity to one uh, to the kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders. That's the language of the bill. I've read the bill in its entirety. It's not a don't-say-gay bill. The word gay is not even included in the entire bill. But the Disney lobbyists, as good as they are, that they conjured up this storyline that is not true, not real, that said the governor of Florida is one of these conservative blowhards like Trump was, and he wants to um, exclude teachers from participating with kids, some of these essentials of, you know, um, sex awareness. That's not what it was. The bill simply says you can't speak about gender identity, fluidity, to, to, to kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders. And for whatever reason, I guess the leadership at Disney opposes that. I mean, they want to make these LGBTQ, you know, the communities and some of the employees. Right, they didn't respond at all. Until the employees. Some activists. Within the employees. Employees mm-hmm. put pressure but on I mean, the leadership. I mean, Disney has a gay pride day. I mean, they, they, they're known to be a little bit woke. I mean, not a little bit woke. They're known to be very, very, very woke. And they've gotten away with it. And the next thing you know, you insult the very people that, that have basically, um, I mean, these are the gatekeepers to your deal. The, the, the Creedy, I keep saying, the Reedy <laughs> Creek, Creek Improvement Creedy District. The, the, the Reedy Creek Improvement District is something the government deals with every decade. So if you're going to insult those people, and I can tell you why they insulted and expected nothing to happen, because it never has. And all of a sudden, a conservative Republican says, I'm not taking this anymore. I mean, they're they're perfectly fine taking exception with my bill, but when they're lobbyists and their power, I mean, Disney's a powerful company. Disney owns ESPN. Disney owns ABC. Disney has a lot of ways to to massage the message, to distort the truth and reality, and that's exactly what they did. And DeSantis and the Republicans said, "That's enough. We're going after you." And here we are. Take a break. 
Back in a minute. See, there are some that don't believe DeSantis is going far enough. Some believe they ought to draft Mickey Mouse into the army and increase the capital gains tax on dis- just Disney stock. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be facetious here, but I mean, I'm serious. A lot of people believe that. Um, here's the here's the the point that I think is central: is the bloody nose going to be a lesson to uh, kind of boardrooms across the United States and some of these powerful uh, mega corporations? We'll find out. I don't know or not. I mean, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. But Disney has a bloody nose this morning. Disney has thrown a lot of punches in political speak in the political realm recently, and they've not had any consequence as a result of. I mean, conservatives get aggravated when they have Gay Pride Day and the churches organize and, you know, everybody goes to Chick-fil-A in protest of, of Disney. But Disney's not had a bloody nose. They do now. I mean, they, there is no doubt about it. I think Disney made a grave miscalculation, and I think Disney believed that there were more ricks out there than there were breezes, that there were enough conservative Republicans who would stand on principle and say, that's not what we do. And I think enough Republicans have said, that's not what we used to do. But it may be what we have to do in these political moments and times. And I'm one of those. I mean, I used to have for a long, long, long time a foot in either camp. I am an anti-corporate, working class, a pro-working class, libertarian-leaning Republican that believes it's going to be necessary to throw punches in this new way of conducting American politics. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, uh, Ken. Uh, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Uh, no sensible person uh, want, or mature person wants to get in a fight. But once you're in a fight, you better win the damn thing or it, you, you, could, you could be hurt or killed. And uh, that that's, uh, that's what some people don't realize. We're in a fight. and uh, Mike, you, I think uh, they realize that they just don't like it. I mean, they find it so repulsive and so, I, I just, man, I don't want to do this. I mean, I'd rather, you know, read something Jefferson wrote or read something something Adams wrote. I mean, I, I fall in that category a lot, and most of us do. As you said, no serious person wants to be in a, in a, in a fight, but at times, it's necessary. Well, I think I, that that is that sums it up right there. And once you're in the fight, you have to go. You you have to go uh, full throttle and do everything you can to win, and not just for you, but for your people as well. And I think that's one of the things that people uh, loved and also hated about Trump is he was willing to go to the fight, take the fight too. Two people that opposed the the American way of life and uh, freedoms. And that sort of thing is hard to come by. And uh, I don't know. The Trump presidency uh, went by so so fast, it seems. And it seems like this one is dragging on forever. But uh, these people can't uh, can't continue uh, pushing and pushing because we're going to slide right off the cliff if if someone doesn't push back. And DeSantis seems to be the type of person that will push back. I think that's what we didn't like about uh, people are so upset with uh, Rice. Um, I'm sorry I missed a lot of uh, your uh, interview with him yesterday. And I think he's a very competent uh, congressman and representative in, in one respect that he has a litany of things that he did for the district and for the state and for the nation. But 
he got rattled for some reason. He he got rattled or scared, maybe, uh, and uh, went and voted against uh, Trump on, uh, no pun intended, Trump uh, trumped up charges. And I cannot abide that. I can't accept that because I don't want someone that gets rattled so easily uh, leading us. I think he'd great, make a great chief of staff. Uh, a guy, a second in command, he'd go out and get all the things done and lined up that needed to be lined up, but he should not be our congressman. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. There's a scene in um, A Few Good Men. Now, now the, the the famous scene is you can't handle the truth, but during that scene, and I've, I've used this on my boys over and over and over again, um, you may find me to be, you may find my being on that wall to be disgusting. But deep in your heart, you know you need me on that wall. I mean, there, there are many, many, many Republicans that have no use for Trump's attitude, his demeanor, his approach. Um, his policies were very mainstream. I mean, I think Rick would agree. His policies were pretty conservative. I mean, they were the traditional conservative, um, you know, uh, playbook. You know, let's, let's deregulate, let's lower taxes, let's empower the private sector. Uh, it, it, it's kind of what Republicans are historically known to uh, try to do when they get elected and in power. But his he was not a policy president. He was a personality uh, president. Uh, Rick said cultish personality. The cultish, um, you could argue that with, you know, very easily. But I, I just don't believe people wake up every day desiring to follow a cult leader. I just don't. I think people um, ended up there by default. I think there were a lot of people that, that, that looked at Trump and said, I don't want a guy that'll fight every time we turn around, but I think we need a guy that'll fight. In other words, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm voting in my best interest and I'm voting the way that I think uh, I should vote, but, but I'm, I'm voting in a way that I've never voted before. And I'm not real comfortable in why I'm voting. I mean, I'll raise my hand to the sky. I voted for Trump because I thought he was um, a pro-business president, conservative. I don't know. I mean, he had a lot of different uh, biases about him uh, when, when he got to the White House. I mean, we never heard Trump talk much about religion or abortion or gay rights or anything like that until he saw what the polling said of the Republican primary, but I always felt a real estate developer would be pro-business. A guy that had made a lot of money would be um, lower taxes and less regulation. So, I mean, got, you know, you, just, you look at that guy and say, I mean, okay, he's not going to be a problem there. Um, you, you knew he was going to be controversial because he was going to take on things in a way that historically they've not been taken on or addressed. But and, I'll tell and you, all the other establishment people on the stage had not gotten the job done. Well, I mean, and, and to that point, Rev, the reason the majority, of, whether you believe this or not, subconsciously you voted for Trump because you were tired of voting for people who told you things they didn't do. Mm-hmm. They, 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 great, they gave great talking points. They, they could give the best speech and they could convince you the mailers you got to the mail. I mean, I'm for fiscal sanity. I'm for religious freedom. I'm for, you know, stopping abortions. Uh, marriage is traditional and between one man and one woman. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before. And I think we, I don't think any of us knew what Trump was going to do, but we knew what everybody else would do. Does that make any sense? We knew if we elected Chris Christie exactly what we were getting. The same old, same old. We knew that if we elected John Kasich, we knew exactly what we were getting, a creature of Washington. We had no idea exactly what we would get when we got Donald Trump, but we were willing to roll the dice. It was really an indictment on everybody else. But it really was. When you look at Kasich and Christie and Rubio and Bush, 
I mean, it was really, it was obvious how disenchanted the Republican primary voter was with all of those guys. They were very credentialed. I mean, they, they had the resumes, you know, that they had the, um, the endorsement of the club for growth and the heritage foundation. And they had a 97 score from this, um, this think tank that, you know, conservatives care about the heritage foundation, the Cato Institute. Um, you know, the Manhattan Institute gave uh, Chris Christie a high rating on that speech. He, uh, and I think Republicans said, I don't give a damn about what he said or what he wrote. I want somebody to do something. And I think they saw in Trump somebody who had a history of doing something and was going to do, and he's changed the world forever. I mean, we're not going back. Now, this is where Rick doesn't like it. We're not going back to this uh, philosophical debate about the role of government. We just aren't. I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a heavyweight fight. Speaking of heavyweight fight, who picks a fight with Mike Tyson on a plane? <laughs> Someone not very smart. But there, there's a plane of 200 people, and this guy drinks and picks a fight with Mike Tyson? you got to drink a lot for him to be the guy on the plane <laughs> that you choose to pick a, pick a fight with somebody else, man. It's somebody <laughs> as drunk as you are. Don't pick a fight with the former heavyweight champion of the world who enjoys fighting still and has a screw loose. I mean, that's the last guy. You, you, want, you want to, I don't know if you saw the video or not. I did. Yeah, a guy wasn't fearing well. No. Yeah, somebody could say, hey, man, uh, what happened to you? Uh, I got in a fight on a plane with who? Mike Tyson? That's what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like you got in a fight on a plane with, uh, with Mike Tyson. But we're not going back to that. I mean, politics, Rick said it, I'll say, politics has changed. And, and we can write stories and we can opine endlessly and we can um, wish that things were as they uh, were when Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, you know, drank a glass of wine and, and you know, the, the Irish came out in them and, you know, out of that came a, a compromise and the government of, of America was so much better as a result of. No, we live in a very confrontational age and era. And, and the reason I think we live in this age and era is government has confiscated an enormous amount of power and influence all of our, all of our lives, and it's worth fighting for. If government had limited influence and limited, limited um, abilities, it wouldn't be this big a struggle. But, but for whatever reason, we have not embraced, some of us have been drug kicking and screaming, but we've ended up in an America where government has a larger and larger say over how much of your money you get to keep, uh, where you get to build a house, where you get to live, how you get to travel, can you wear a mask or not, do you have to get vaccinated, uh, do you have to have health care, and that, that's a power struggle, and there's a lot at stake. And, and one political party saw sooner than the other that, you know, if you bully yourself around this world, you can dominate this world. And another party continued to believe, well, their ideas suck and mine are good. Therefore, when we sit down, I can convince them that, that my ideas are better. And when you sat down and tried to convince them your ideas were better, you got punched in the mouth. And up until Trump, nobody punched back. That's the game. The, the, the scary part for the political left in America is that Trump has revolutionized the Republican Party into a party not afraid of confrontation, not afraid of a street fight, not afraid to go to the gutter, not afraid uh, to throw a punch you punched at. I mean, that's kind of the is Trump's policy don't freak anybody out. I mean, they really don't. That uh, they argue that they do. It is immigration policies are conservative. They're not wacky. His tax policies are conservative. They're not wacky. His national security issues are. I mean, they're they're somewhat ah, non-interventionist. So so nothing about his policies scare anybody on either side of the political aisle. It's it's his willingness to stand and fight against forces that have uh, become accustomed to 
the opposing party not standing and fighting, but wishing, wishing and dreaming that things were as they were back in the good old days. This is a new America. I mean, this is an absolute new political climate in America, and I think Ron DeSantis has seized the moment. I think DeSantis understands with clarity exactly where his constituency are, exactly what they wish would happen, and I think him taking on Disney, I think it was very appropriate, and I think it scores him an enormous advantage in, in the Republican Party. Um, you got Trump, and then who say, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt who uh, the first lieutenant is. I mean, Trump may be still... Uh, you know, king of the world, the heavyweight champion of the Republican Party, there is no doubt who the number one contender is. Remember, we talked for a long time, you know, is it Tucker Carlson? Is it J.D. Vance? Is it Ron DeSantis? Is it Josh Hawley? Is it Rand Paul? Is it Ted Cruz? No, I mean, it, it's as clear as a bell right now. It's Ron DeSantis. In fact, I would go so far as to say it's one and one A. I think DeSantis today is on equal footing with Trump as a um, as a choice for the Republican primary voters. Mm. We'll talk to Kaylee about that in about 15 minutes. Take a break. Back in a minute. You know, it's hard to believe that someone is smart. I mean, it's had to be a bright man to end up the CEO of Disney. I mean, the board of directors chooses the CEO. He's got to be a bright man. But it's hard for me to believe that, that he believed uh, the preservation of Disney's tax uh, status. And then we're talking about this. Um, I mean, it may, they basically govern themselves. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they still pay property taxes. It's just a kind of a fee in lieu of. And a deal but, that Walt Disney himself, I think, negotiated well, back it, in the 1960s. He didn't want the government saying the buildings can't be that close to the edge of the property. Like setbacks and all the uh, the building codes. I mean, they still build things to code. Uh, but but he was exempt from a lot of the, the other issues that local businesses had to deal with. Um, they kind of governed uh, themselves. But um, it's hard for me to believe that Bob Chappelle, I think is the guy's name, um, felt that discuss, I mean, the bill prohibits public, public school teachers from discussing sexual orientation and gender identity with kids in kindergarten, first and second, third grade. I mean, that's hard for me to believe that a bright man put the, I don't know, the nature of the business because the nature of the business depends on this deal, this um, this Reedy Creek or Creedy Reed, um, <laughs> this this um, district they've created back in I think 1962 or seven or something. It was back in the 60s. And not to mention, he is the head of a business that is supposedly in the business of family-friendly entertainment, right? Well, I mean, to me, didn't even consider that. Why? Why would a company uh, conflict means taking sides, right? I mean, conflict means making enemies. Conflict means that you're trying to personally define what's right and wrong. I mean, Mike's trying to define one thing is right. I'm trying to find another thing is right. Um, that's I mean, that's conflict. None of those things are appealing to business. I mean, I understand, you know, that there's a hill you down. You, you believe in what you believe in. But, but this is one of the most uh, wealthy and powerful entertainment companies in the world, and they felt like it made sense to involve themselves in a, in a state legislature that was deciding whether or not to prohibit public school teachers from talking about sexual orientation and gender identity to kindergartners, first, second, third graders. Poll that with the masses. I'm going to ask the American public, would you support or not a bill that disallowed public school teachers 
from discussing gender identity and sexual orientation amongst kids in kindergarten, first, second, third grade. And Disney believed that was the conflict to enter in. Disney got full of themselves. Disney watched what Cope did and watched what Major League Baseball did. And Disney believed that DeSantis was no different than any other uh, Republican thoroughbred uh, you know, elected official. He'll say all these things. He'll grumble all these things. He'll score some talking points, but he won't do anything. Uh, mess around and find out is the name of this morning's show. Take a break. Back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. Representative Philip Lowe is with us as he is on Friday morning, but Philip's going to join me in listening to our good friend, uh, Robert Cahaley, who has agreed to join us from the Trafalgar Group. Robert is, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, as good a pollster as there is in America today, especially and primarily about Republican issues, Republican uh, primary voters. Robert, before we get into the nuts and bolts of politics, uh, I got a question for you. I, w- I want to humanize Robert because Robert can come across as somewhat robotic. It's all about numbers and ratios and formulas. You a bigger Braves fan or Gamecock fan? I know you to be a fan of both. Are you a bigger Atlanta Braves fan or Gamecock fan? Well, you know, being a Braves and Gamecock fan is about understanding the concept of long suffering. Uh, <laughs> last year uh, uh, it was a, was a little different. I think I probably am a bigger Braves fan. Uh, it's 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 a stronger connection. Uh, it's 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 something that I, I, I'm used to more heartaches, and I actually believe the Braves can win. Where I never actually believed Carolina is going to be a national champion. <laughs> Ouch. I, I still kind of believe the Braves can be world champions. They've done it twice in my lifetime, so I, I believe. And so I think that's the difference. Okay, I got to ask this question. I'm, I'm prying into your personal life a little bit. I saw on Facebook where you carried your dad to the Braves game when they got their world championship rings. Did you or did you not poll every single person <laughs> in Truist Park about Herschel Walker's chances of being a senator from Georgia? You know, I didn't. Um, <laughs> but I, I hearken back to, I believe it was uh, game five of the World Series, and I, and I watched the reaction Trump got. So I kind of had a sense of where the group was already okay he may win that stadium full of folks is what you're saying yes uh some of the funnest video on the internet was donald trump standing there giving uh joining the crowd and uh doing the tomahawk chop good deal good deal (laughs) robert i want to i want to go into a couple of different issues before we go to the ohio senate race i want to talk the pennsylvania georgia gubernatorial race uh the couple of congressional races here in south carolina um is Ron DeSantis separating himself from everybody other than Trump as a Republican potential nominee in 24 by the way he's handling the issue of Disney and some of the other, I don't know, uh, I don't, he's, he's making himself somewhat of a rock star in Republican lore. Uh, is DeSantis clearly the guy other than Trump that Republican voters seem to be enamored with? I think so. Uh, I, I don't think DeSantis is just separating himself from the field. I think DeSantis is setting a new standard for federalism. Uh, and, and, and to that, probably a little uh, lesser degree, but certainly a major mark being made by Abbott. I mean, taking on the companies and what they're doing, uh, some this, these woke companies that people are used to states just kind of kowtowing to them. Uh, and we, we've seen this happen in state after state. 
where they just the big companies get together and say they want you to make this change or not make this particular change, and 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 the government's back down. And so what what he did with Disney is is kind of an icing on the cake, uh, but there is a movement, and it's and it's mostly with these you know strong Southern governors there, this idea that. That there's that there's a line now, and and the lower half is is the freedom line. You know, they talk about the free state of Texas, the free state of Florida. I mean, this stuff is important. I mean, Abbott with building his own border wall. Uh, this is this is significant, not just about presidential politics, but again, it's about moving the line of federalism and enforcing the fact that this is not a system of one country with 50 subdivisions. That it's 50 states that make up a country. And I think that's the more important thing that's happening. But certainly, uh, DeSantis is uh, setting a very high standard. He is an earned media uh, machine. and uh, But most of it is just because it's not stunts. It's things that actually are newsworthy. Very well said. Okay, let's go to one more person. And I don't know where he fits into the Republican orbit or if he does at all. But Elon Musk has become somewhat of a folk hero, kind of an urban legend within Republican politics because he's taking on Twitter, who we believe um, censors conservative thought and stories that need to be in the mainstream. Um, is there? We know Peter Thiel is deeply involved in some of these races. Um, do we expect Musk to be supportive of Republican politics, or is this kind of a one-off with his um, being a free speech absolutist and Twitter we expecting censorship. I think, zoom out for a minute. We are now suggesting that someone is Republican-leaning because he's standing up for free speech. Doesn't that give you a sense of where we are? Since when is standing up for free speech puts you in one camp or the other? That used to make you an American, no matter what side you were on. I mean, the ACLU used to stand for free speech. It, it, it's it's so amazing that someone simply saying no agenda, just tell it like it is, is now some kind of a, a becoming a conservative folk hero. No, I don't. I don't think he is becoming a, a a statement for conservatives, but I think he's setting a standard that there is such thing as things that are bipartisan in this country that are beyond politics and, and the idea for that we should have free, free speech, we should have an unlimited media that not only is controlled, not only is not controlled by the government, but is also focused on just presenting facts without uh, putting an agenda or certainly engaging in censorship. And so as an advocate for speech, free speech, He's getting a lot of attention, but it's it's important attention, and it, it really should be bipartisan. Uh, last question, gas prices. Um, have you polled gas prices? What is the oh, direct yeah. or indirect correlation to um, the 22 midterms and, I don't know, the, the plot of the Republicans and Democrats? Gas prices are the, uh, are the tip of the spear on the entire inflation uh, effect that it's having on average families. Uh, inflation is so significant and people see it. Not everybody goes to the grocery store. They're, believe it or not, they're people that spend their whole existence having somebody else go to the grocery store for them. But most people experience gas one way or the other. And it is just an immediate thing. And even people who don't pay attention to prices of some things, that's something people pay prices to. You can almost 
ask anybody who drives what gas was when they started driving, and they can give you the answer to that. So it's a number that we all see. And so, yes, it has dramatically affected things, and it, it has done done more to counteract the green extremism done and done more to undo good feelings about Biden than any specific thing. And it, it is one of, one of the factors that is affecting swing voters the most. We've actually been measuring this in, for some particular groups who are engaging in uh, ads that are, are built around gas prices. Okay, let's go to the races. Um, the, the race that I find most interesting, you may not, but I do, is the Ohio you know Senate. Say. That's the Ohio <laughs> Senate race. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I have a bromance with J.D. Vance. I mean, I, I come from rural America. He comes from rural America. He went to Yale. I did not. Um, so both of us, so both of us come from rural America. We have that in common, but he did, I mean, he, Peter Thiel put $10 million in a political action committee in, in the name of supporting JD Vance. And then he lands uh, somewhat of a surprising Trump endorsement. How do you see that race in replacing the retiring Rob Portman? Well, I see four or five candidates, all who think Rob Portman's too moderate as the leading candidates, which is, which is interesting. Uh, that everybody is moving to the right of an inc- a retiring incumbent that way. But, no, we've watched that race from the very beginning, and it has been uh, – from the very beginning, you had Mandel kind of at the, start with the immediate lead, and then you had Vance moving around anywhere from uh, third to second, and then you, you had these guys, uh, Gibbons and, uh, and then uh, Ms. Tempkin, and those two were just – it's like a whack-a-mole. One of them would go down, and the other one would go up, and it was just. And so it, it, it's been an interesting race to watch. We actually put out a poll right before the endorsement. Uh, there was a, a lot of clamoring. Uh, there's a lot of uh, self-serving polls out there. You can almost tell who who's people were supporting by by the polls. Each group had their own kind of quote-unquote uh, poll that was clearly for them, but pretending to be just kind of unbiased. And so there was a lot of clamoring. We got people saying, hey, we need to see some real numbers. Everyone want to see something real. Uh, we saw Vance's, we had him at about five points back in second place, but a solid second. And the next uh, candidate was down, I think, another 10. I think, it, I think in a plurality state uh, where it's not a majority, there's no runoff in most states outside the South, a Trump endorsement in a crowded race, uh, that is a significant move. And Vance probably is more able to capitalize that because there were people who agreed with Vance who advocates a very strong America first policy but did not like him because of things he said personally uh, in the past about Trump, most of which was in 2016 uh, before he was even the Republican nominee. But it's almost like it gives those people – a reason to give J.D. Vance a pass on those particular criticisms. And for many people, that was their only problem with Vance. So I think it's a big boost to, to Vance, and I, I would expect that uh, unless something uh, major happens in the wake of the debacle that happened at the, at the Ohio debate uh, with Mandel kind of uh, minimizing himself to be taken seriously, I think – in the long run, this is probably going to put Vance in a position to win that nomination. And I read yesterday that Teal contributed another $3.5 million to the Super PAC in support 
uh, of JD Vance. Okay, the 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 oddest that's so nice of him. Yeah, that's very nice of him. A um a silicon must be nice to be a Silicon Valley billionaire with money just burned, and he's helping Republicans. Hey, so he's have him on what, it's going to have him on that side though. Yeah, oh yeah, no question about it. Not many of Peter Thiel's going around. Most of the um the the American oligarchs are on the other side of the political equation. Okay, let's go to Pennsylvania. People laughed when Trump announced he was running. Uh, similarly, people kind of chuckled when Dr. Oz said, I'd like to be a senator from Pennsylvania. Does he have a chance and why? First of all, let me tell you who wasn't laughing. People uh, in Washington at the Democratic National Committee, because they know what most of us who do polling know, that Oz is a juggernaut in the fall, that Oz has an audience of people who watch daytime TV who do not vote Republican who will vote for him. Oz is a virtual shoe-in if he becomes a Republican nominee. He's, he's very almost impossible to beat in the fall because he has so much crossover vote. He's built such an audience of people who love him. You know, it, I, I've always said that Oz's greatest strength was the fact that early on, somebody who talks to uh, 18 million people a week, Sean Hannity, advocated him strongly. There were people who didn't necessarily like Oz, but they trusted Hannity, and they were they're Trumpers. And so we saw the highest degree of people who were pro-Trump were for Oz from the very beginning. Uh, no other candidate had it, such a high percentage of, of Trump voters. And so it did not surprise me that uh, this moved him. Our last numbers showed Oz moving into first. What was what was the real surprise, and actually on Jim Bohannon's show last night with the guest host, was, and I had told them this, what surprised me was how fast um, Barnett's coming up. Because in our last poll, Barnett was creeping in on um, McCormick for second place. Uh, Barnett was behind McCormick by like 1.2. So, I mean, when you figure Oz and McCormick have both spent uh, north of like $20 million dollars and um, Barnett spent like $2 million, most of its grassroots. Uh, that is certainly something to watch. But again, crowded primary, plurality state, uh, Trump endorsement, very powerful. And Oz has the ability. When you have a Trump endorsement, the best way to figure out whether it's going to make a difference in your race is do, do you have the resources to tell everybody? Because we don't live in a world where Trump's all over social media. Uh, and the mainstream media is not pushing the narratives of who Trump endorses. So when candidates have the money to put the word out themselves, that they, they they're going to rise quick. I think Oz has the resources to do that. Uh, the one endorsement I didn't understand was in the Georgia gubernatorial race. I mean, it looks to me like Trump's on a limb with Purdue versus Kemp. Uh, am I wrong? I understand. Uh, certainly. Uh, because of, the the history there and, and everything Kemp has done, and uh, the movie I think is coming out in the next few weeks, Two Thousand Mules. You'll get a real sense of exactly the evidence that Kemp has ignored, and the frustration that Georgia voters feel. Right now, we're sitting at sixty three percent of Georgia voters answer Georgia Republicans say this that they they believe there was enough voter fraud in the 2020 election and 2021 runoffs for Senate to change the outcomes. 63% believe that. So the only reason that Kemp is viable is his pushing for a, a light 
uh, voter reform and then how the left attacked it, moving the Braves all-star game and, 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 and moved the all-star game from Atlanta. Kemp had that moment in the sun where he was had basically liberal America lined up against him, and he is still surfing on that. If that erodes, uh, then Kemp could be in a, a problem. Right now, uh, that Purdue is a, is, a, is a good is a good guy and a good candidate. It's I think that they've waited very late to put the resources in that race. Uh, we saw that race a lot uh, further apart than everybody else did. Uh, now, I guess it's about 10 weeks ago, we put out the first poll that everybody thought was shocking and there was no way that's where it was. And yet now four polls uh, afterwards have said the same thing. I expect that race to tighten with the word that Trump has put in another $3 million. But it, but until all that started, you had a you know you had an incumbent with Republican Governors Association and those groups pouring money in that thing. And then Purdue... A Trump endorsed guy who didn't have money behind it. You know, you're getting outspent three million to twenty million. It, it's tough. It's tough for him to get there. So we'll see if enough money comes at, the, at this late uh, to put that thing in a runoff. If it's in a runoff, Kemp is in real trouble, and it probably doesn't hurt that 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 uh, voter fraud movie with lots of examples of Georgia, and the fact this stuff was presented to the governor is going to be premiering right as early voting starts. Interesting. Okay, I, I can't let you get away without asking you this. You, you and I were texting yesterday. Um, I felt like Congressman Tom Rice was a dead man walking. I didn't know that, but I felt that way after the vote to impeach President Trump. Why do I not feel that way any longer? Well, um, that I, I I do not think, and I said from the beginning, I don't see Tom Rice getting renominated. I never thought that would happen after he took that vote. Um, there is something that happens when somebody starts pouring a bunch of money to race. And my understanding is he started spending some real money and he started to attack uh, Russell Fry. Uh, it, it, from what I can understand, it looks like that, uh, I mean, he, you know, he's got a couple million dollars that there's no way that Mr. Fry is going to be able to answer. So, if if people are willing to throw somebody uh, out over a vote to impeach the president, even though the other guy might have raised their gas tax a few cents, then maybe Tom Rice has. Um, I mean, there's a real possibility that Tom Rice is going to lose. But if people just think the, <laughs> that all I can see that they're attacking him on is the gas tax thing, if that's a bigger deal than impeaching the president, then maybe Rice can hang on. But I don't think it is. You got a lot of data there, Robert. Or y'all don't have a lot of data. Or data that you'd like to share? What I have seen in that particular race is that I haven't seen it in the last month where not only was it headed to a runoff, but it was headed to a runoff with Fry ahead. I don't have any reason to believe that Fry is not ahead of Rice still. Maybe Rice can, can, can make it a little tighter. But the, but when you look at it, there are more people voting against an incumbent congressman. I don't see that changing. So uh, this this guy's going to run office just a matter of how high he finishes. But when it's all said and done, a majority of the people who turned out to vote against an incumbent congressman, and I don't see him surviving that. Uh, short of a lot of people who didn't vote in the first election suddenly showing up in the second election. But you believe, but because this is this is one place 
that that having a runoff helps the the non-incumbent. The challenger benefits from maybe a uh, kind of a, a coalescing around him being um, the guy that didn't uh, vote to impeach Donald Trump. Yes. Okay. And also the Trump voters, and this we're seeing everywhere, and including Georgia, the ones that are voting for the Trump-endorsed candidates are the most intense voters. Those are the ones who are not going to miss the election. They are fired up. They're angry. And I learned a long time ago from a guy, you've heard of Haley Barber. I learned from his big brother, Jeffy Barber. He said, what you have to remember about politics is your friends will work for five o'clock for you to win, but your enemies will stay up all night to beat you. And I have never forgotten that. And I think that is a true statement. People vote against people. That's very well explained. Robert, thank you for your time, man. It's a treat to our audience. Uh, we're a little two-bit radio show in a in a two-bit town in South Carolina. And to have one of the, uh, and I mean this sincerely, one of the preeminent pollsters on our show is quite a treat. So I want to thank you, and I mean that sincerely. Well, you're downplaying this show, and you're certainly downplaying one of the most uh, history and uh, special parts of the state. And so I, I disagree with those two items, but thank you for the compliment. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Robert Cahaley of the Trafalgar Group. Always interesting to get this guy on the air. Uh, Philip Lowe's with us. Let's take a break. I want to come back. Representative Lowe, I want to get his take on what he heard, and then we'll talk about the week's business at the State House. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. Representative Philip Lowe is with us, as he is not every uh, Friday morning, but the, uh, the invitation stands and when he can make it work in his schedule. Before we get to the week that was in Columbia and the week that will be, what do you make of um of Cahaley? I mean, you know Robert a bit. You know Robert's a um kind of a national pollster, but he's run a lot of campaigns in South Carolina over the years. Anything stuck out or sticks out that he may have said? I think it's obvious that Republicans have come riding in on a horse. We're going to take it all back over change washington clean up this act and have a merry christmas <laughs> <laughs> good deal good deal um yeah philip's kind of like hey man i've got enough problems of my own i don't need to uh, adopt jd vance's campaign or dr oz's campaign but i want to ask you this philip it is a different political climate i mean there is no doubt about it we're we're watching um the traditional way of which you run campaigns go by the wayside dr oz in uh, in pennsylvania is legitimate as robert said because he's been on television <laughs> and robert kept referring to him just as oz yeah. no dr oz hey oz this and oz said he'll have a lot of crossover vote but i mean it is something that you whether you embrace it or not you've got to accept it it's different today than it historically has been it's it's incredible republican wave coming it really is i mean nobody is happy right now we've seen washington screw up the, a beautiful economy and and make inflation just rampant. I mean, I, I listen, I was in the 70s coming out of school, and there were no jobs. And, and double-digit uh, interest rates and inflation was so rampant. It, it was scary times. Uh, everybody's had a taste of what America can bring, what capitalism brings, when you can get out of the way, when government will quit getting in your way. And, and Trump brought that in, and everybody got a taste of that. They're they're going to realize quickly that Biden has run this in the ground. The one thing that Don, that uh, Robert said that I think resonates in your world is the federalism issue. DeSantis is running uh, Florida as he sees fit, not waiting on the federal government. Um, uh, what's his name? Abbott in, uh, in Texas is taking advantage of you know his authority as a state um, executive officer. Um, how much can you guys do? 
uh, without deferring. Because I know, I mean, we talked about Medicaid and all these other sorts of things. The uh, the COVID money came with all these strings attached. Um, but but what sorts of things do you think we can do here to um, to reinvigorate federalism? One of the things we did was we said uh, when they expanded Medicaid that we're not going to be a part of it. We're tired of the strings because all the strings basically force you to govern the way the federal government wants you to. We're tired of that. And and so you get money without strings, and we like it. But if there's strings attached, it's, it's not a lot of fun trying to – because you get blamed for whatever the outcome yeah, is. Yeah. Okay, well, the week that it was, what did we do this week in, um, in Columbia, and what should we pay in, be paying attention to for the next, uh, for the next week or so? Well, the, the most noteworthy thing that happened was uh, the, the Speaker of the House announced that next Thursday he'll be stepping down and we'll be electing a new one. And, you know, I, Merle Smith is not just the odds-on favorite. He is the shoe-in at this point. We've already polled everybody and— I believe there's only one holdout right now in the whole house that that I'm aware of that doesn't that isn't going to vote for Merle. So when you move the man at the top, then everything moves below it. So there's a lot of clamoring for uh, for seats on certain committees and chairmanships, and of course it gets so petty around there. We we start talking about offices and uh, and where your parking spot is. <laughs> <laughs> But once a speaker leaves and someone is instated or installed as the new speaker, I think Merle currently is the Ways and Means chair. That's right. That means there'll be a new Ways and Means chair. Uh, everybody will get, I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of leadership positions will get reassigned. Absolutely. I mean, there's a ladder there, and, and people are trying to climb over the backs of other people to get two spots. So it's it's a little bit of chaos, and the sooner that Merle gets in there, at this point and stabilizes then we'll run more efficiently at that point we spent uh six or eight hours on crt uh arguing i think we had 270 uh, amendments on the bill so we're running amok right now and and kind of wasting a lot of time sitting around trying to get through things they've they've just figured they'll run the time out on us and keep us from getting some important bills but we pass crt in the house Philip, there's an argument Jefferson always made, and Jefferson was my kind of political hero, um, the, the, the relevancy of the minority. The minority knows that it needs to be rele- relevant and represented and, and understood um, in this balance of power. But, but the Republicans in South Carolina can kind of sort of do what they choose to do. Is that a fair accounting? I mean, the majorities are so overwhelming. The way the rules are written, they have ways of slowing it down. And when you get towards the end of sessions or right before a crossover time, then a minority can all of a sudden be powerful because they can stop something by putting in enough amendments and talking about things long enough. So right, right now, they've, they're more powerful than they would have been at the start of the session. Is there anything in particular they're slowing down? Is there anything in particular, an agenda item or issue that the Republicans are trying to get past that you believe the Republic, excuse me, the Democrat, the minority party is trying to slow walk or even stop. Well, we had the transgender sports thing. That was a, a thousand amendments on that. Uh, CRT, we, we just endured this week. We call it Wicked Wednesdays. We have a lot of long mm-hmm. Wednesdays and we stay in session sometimes to midnight. Heck, heck I've woken up uh, at, at nine in the morning and we're still talking about things, you know, it, so it can get crazy uh, this time of year. But, you know, uh, I think over in the House, uh, we passed a, a good bill that went to the Senate that dealt with election security, and they've been discussing that this week. That's an important bill 
uh, that we don't end up with the same shenanigans that, that we had the last election. But it looks to me like the Senate is not as committed to that bill as the House was. Is that a fair accounting? No, that's for sure right now. You never know how it ends up. Yep. But yeah, things uh, – the Senate can do a lot, but we're down to the end, too, and they know they can run the clock out there, too, and they've got important things to do to, to govern also. And no, really, nothing's more important than elections, though. Okay, good deal. We got a call? Let's we go do. to the phone if we don't mind. Yep, Ashley in Postman's Corner. Hey, Ashley. Good morning, fellas. Had a great show as usual. It was interesting to hear what uh, Trafalgar and them had to say this morning. Um, we were talking earlier this morning about how – as a country, as a Republican Party, we're getting more active. And I think that goes from the from the very top to the national level all the way down to the garbage. I mean, the garbage man and the sheriff and the school districts and everything else. Uh, my question to Representative Lowe is, and, and, I, and I'm going to do this a little bit more, more point blank than I did it a couple weeks ago. I like it. Hey, good, good, good. <laughs> Um, how do we as Florence County, how do we as Florence County, when I say we, I mean our representatives, you, our senators, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, take a judge, a magistrate that we know is giving out low bonds, low bails. There was one in Columbia that gave out a $25,000 bond for a guy that shot 14 people or 12 people. How do we as our, our representatives I, it's to the point where you, you don't want to just talk to them and make amendments. You want to get those magistrates out. And we have a chief magistrate in Florence that's consistently given low bonds to habitual criminals. And I'll take y'all's comments up there. Well, we've had a lot of conversations about sentencing requirements and sentencing provisions and guidelines, the role of a magistrate. Mike Nunn kind of explained. I mean, Mike didn't say good magistrate, bad, bad magistrate, good judge, bad judge. But, um, but we've had a lot of concerns, and there's been a lot of emphasis placed on, on that argument, and I'll, I'll kind of let you comment as much as you'd like. Well, the move in Columbia uh, with the judges it has basically shifted from spending time in jail to only putting people in jail that, that have harmed other people, personal, physical harm. So they've gotten away from the drugs. They're just not as much into it. We, we as Republicans have to fight back because we know that the drugs – Will will corrupt society from within, and and cause you know, our people to be well, lazy and, and not being able to work, mess up their minds and everything. So, uh, I think the local magistrates now, if you're dealing with that subject only, that's the senator. Now, in fairness to Mike Rickenbaugh, he's not put any of those in, so don't go calling him and say he messed up. But it, it is his decision, and then they pass it in the Senate. Well, we don't have anything to do with that in the House. Maybe that should change maybe we'll get some more of it but mike has agreed to talk with us in the future about some of them but listen i feel your pain i, I don't know why in the world people got out that guy that got out for what was it fifty thousand twenty five thousand twenty five thousand mm-hmm. i mean that guy's running drugs in, in another direction right now you, you just know it this guy will never come back to florence it's almost like we just gave him a a, a ticket and said if you pay it now you can leave and but we'll never see that guy. I mean, he may show up one day somewhere and get caught again, and then we say, oh, extradite him to South Carolina because he never came back. But I feel your pain. I'm frustrated, too. Uh, I, and as chairman of the, the law enforcement committee and all, I tell you, it, it means a lot because we ruin the morale 
of of the law enforcement officers when they pick up the same people back and forth and and they're doing the same crime and going back in these rap sheets you know we've got to do something about the people that are habitual uh, offenders should we change the vetting process the criteria necessary to be named a magistrate i mean we know in days gone by there have been political favors and and friendliness and you know previous associations i mean is, is there something we can do legislatively to put a higher bar or standard in place to make sure these magistrates meet and are qualified to do the job now you know people have suggested that they be lawyers instead of lay people um, but it is the one level at which a, a lay person can get in and deal with with regular folks on lower level problems uh and so uh i've got friends that are magistrates that i think do a great job sure, and they're sure. not lawyers so i think you've got a fair-minded person that, that that's okay um but i think the trend that that maybe is being supported is just the trend to not put people in jail and that's and jail sometimes can can correct your yeah. actions. You and that, know. That's kind of a national movement. You got a couple of minutes you can hang around? Sure. Okay, let's take a break, come back, and um, kind of conclude this hour with Representative Philip Lowe. Back in a minute. You know, the county government does what the county government does, state government does what state government does, federal government does what federal government does, but at times all of these entities are, are, are levels of government, layers of government, need to kind of know what's going on. I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I, I've got in my hands about, I don't know, 10 pounds worth of paperwork. That involves a lawsuit that a developer has filed against um, county council in Florence County in general. Um, you're a, you're in the state delegation. Obviously, you're not part and parcel to this um, to this lawsuit, but um, but you are a duly elected representative from Florence County that I believe uh, would have an interest in what's happening here. Uh, your take on uh, I mean, it's the early stages and a lot of things we don't know. But what's your initial take of this um, this legal proceeding? Well, Ken, I, I heard the fish were biting this weekend. <laughs> Good answer. Oh my. Um so so I don't want to be critical and, and I don't want to be in a deposition anytime sure, soon about sure. about this. Um we've been talking about this up in Columbia a little bit because there's a bill floating around up there too. Um you know, if if you analyze this, you you did a good job on analyzing a fifteen million dollar project. You got seventeen million that you're going to get in tax credits, and that they sell those off and end up with thirteen. So they only have two and a half million or so in the land. How in the world? I'd like to get on that deal, no, right? You that's know, a that, sweet deal. It, it sounds like a sweet deal, but look, understand something now, uh, and and I developed so I I understand this in a little bit more detail. It's a very complicated formula, but if you believe that the federal government should be involved with giving people discounted housing, then the only way that's going to work is a different system because a conventional uh, rent would be $1,200 maybe. These rents might average $700. So how do you make that work for a guy who's going to build an apartment? He should just build one, a conventional one, and get $1,200, right? So the trade-off that the government put in there, the federal side basically, and there's some state match too, is instead of 70% of it being your money and 30% of it, or, or let me go back. So instead of, you put in 30% and then you borrow 70% from a bank. That's a conventional way of mm -hmm. doing an you know, apartment complex. It's the opposite now. When you get to this type of housing that, that you've got these credits, then you're putting in more like 
70% and you're borrowing 30%. And, and you say, well, that sounds kind of weird because really you're not because you're getting tax credits sure. for that 70%. But you got to find investors to start with that get paid back with these tax credits when they're sold off. And this complex system then works to, if you hold that property for 15 years, then it's a good investment. But it's not like it pays well on a monthly basis because there's just not enough money that comes from government to support this. So the only way you're going to ever get affordable, quote, affordable housing is some kind of a system that's convoluted like this because it doesn't make financial sense to charge $700 a month rent. And, and we do believe there is a struggle with housing. I mean, there is a an issue. I mean, I, I've read before that people who work at the beach can't live at the beach because real estate's too expensive. I don't know what your schedule's like. I mean, you you good on time, or you got to you got to bail? I'll give you a few more. Okay. Well, I mean, we got to take a hard break. Top of the hour. I don't want to hold you too long. Philip may or may not be back <laughs> after we take this break in just a second. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. That's young Bruce, right? That's from the river, if I'm not mistaken. That's sounds the, young there. Uh, so it does sound kind of young. Before he got old and serious and politically motivated <laughs> and liberal and uh, anti-Republican and anti-Federalist and all these other sorts of things. And a unique thing about things. that song, it's a hit. Well, that is pretty For unique. Yeah. Well, another one of the songs he's embarrassed have ever been associated <laughs> with. Hey, uh, Representative Philip Lowe agreed with stay, stay with us a few more minutes. So, so I want to go back to this lawsuit with the county. And, um, and once again, say what you want to say. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are dealing on some things up there that um, are in confidence, don't need to be discussed publicly. But there's two sets of circumstances here that I think warrant consideration. Um, one is a neighborhood that doesn't want that tort sort of product. I mean, I, I know there'll be race and all these uh, socioeconomics will be coming to play. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, uh, a neighborhood has a right to try to protect the value of its property. I get that. We all understand that. Um, and then there's another debate about the, the financial formula of, of the tax credits and the marketing of the credits and how much equity you create, not out of thin air, but at the expense of government. Is, is, that, is that a fair assessment that there are c- kind of, I'm not competing arguments, but two arguments here, uh, property owners who don't want this kind of property around them. And, and there's a financing mechanism where the government is very generous to those people who do these sorts of things. I got a question for you first. Were you in Pamplico riding around in a pickup truck and the eight track got stuck on Bruce Springsteen <laughs> for about three years? Uh, no, that what happened? No. He, I'm, okay. I, I'll explain that. I'll explain that. I, okay. Here you go. Springsteen wrote a lot about people wanting to get out of a small town okay. and see what was going on out there. And I could relate to that. You know what I mean? I, I wanted to see things that weren't readily available. In a town with no stoplights. All right, and, good, fair enough. Answer. Okay, and when he sang about those things, it was like, hey, okay, there, there's a there's a there's there's a place out there that I I can't even imagine. And then when he sang, and you're a kid, you know what I mean? Those, those things have a lasting impact. And I come and, to find out, all these years later, you know, Bruce was right about it all this up. stuff. Yeah, he, he was ma- a fraud. He made it up. I mean, he's admitting now <laughs> that he made it all up. There, there was there was no young kid trying to get away uh, in the in the Springsteen on Broadway. So he got me started out. So the Springsteen <laughs> on Broadway. I think you'd be interested in this. So he says that um that he was that guy. You know what I mean? He sang about these things and he said um you know born to run. It's a death trap. It's a suicide trap. I got to get out while I'm young. Try you know baby we were born to run. And then he stops and he says I currently live ten minutes 
from the home I was raised in. <laughs> it, it didn't <laughs> but, go. But born to stick around, who's going to buy that? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so he did make it all up. And he is, um, I mean, I think he would agree. You're a little older than I am, not much, but he's been a generational performer. He's been a relevant artist for a long, long, long time. And yeah, I mean, it's just, um, he sings about things that I found very easily uh, relatable to. I'm That's sorry. a good way of not answering the question. I'm yeah. sorry. I had a little no, bromance you that. there. And well, the people he writes about, he, he come to find out also, he thinks they're kind of deplorable. Well, he, he doesn't like does. us very the, much. The Trump <laughs> voter, he wrote most of his lyrics about the Trump voter, and he finds the Trump voter to be a bit disgusting. So he is somewhat complicated. Okay. Now, that is a great job. I want you to see what a politician just did. <laughs> did you see that? It was, you it was just a good divert. redirect. You just, yeah. yeah, you deflect and divert. That's what you do. I can't confirm. Well, I can't let's deny. get back to whether the fish are biting or not. <laughs> <laughs> good deal. But no, right, I mean, so, th- this is a couple of issues in one. Yeah. So uh, as to the cutting it to the short, people have asked me, what can we do about it? I don't want this in my backyard. We know people don't want even apartments in sure. the backyard. But, you know, when, when you get into assisted living or, or, or not assisted living, but but anything where the government is involved with bringing people in and paying for housing for them and, and whatever shape or form that is, it's, it's scarier. And so people don't want that in their backyard. So now I'm faced with what do I do or can I do something? Should I do something? Because this is federal stuff, too. You're dealing with a lot of regs there. But what we don't have in this is the ability for the public to have input. Mm. whether it's to just to go to some planning commission meeting and vent, whether it's to have the county council or city council vote on a, a project. You know, there, there's some things you could put in there. Then I come back and say, do I want to add a layer of government to a developer's already government bureaucratized decision? I mean, this is as deep into government as you're ever going to get, just, just to get to qualify to be able to bring a project to Florence. There's six projects trying to come to Florence now. So everybody's in a panic. I, I'm in a panic. Like I don't, I don't really want it on a busy road that I'm dealing with or next door to me. So I don't know. I'm torn right now between trying to introduce something to slow it down or at least to provide some input from the public. And of course the input's going to solidly be no every time you ask it. So you're almost, if you do this, you, you're, you're trying to kill it, trying to kill all these deals. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, affordable housing is an issue, uh, and I don't know. I haven't decided what I'm going to do, but I'm looking at that. Somebody's got a good idea. Well, you're me. trying to consider all things, and I think that's to your credit. You know, I don't have the answer, but let's try to get to a better place here together. Um, I want to go back to one thing I talked to Kaylee about and get your take before I let you get out of here, and that is um, gas prices. I mean, you know, gas prices hit you in the head. I mean, you know, all of us don't buy um caviar we don't buy washing machines every day we don't know uh none of us i mean the car market is crazy got a buddy of mine in the auto business and he says ken i can sell used cars now for more than i could sell a new car if i could get one but i can't get a new pickup but i can sell you a two-year-old pickup more expensively than, than than the new pickup um but gas prices are something that we it touches our lives every single day um as a politician, you have an obligation to listen to the public. You can't always address their concern. Very seldom can you really address their concern. But what do you tell those workers who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are doing all they can to make ends meet, um, when it used to cost 40 bucks to fill up their truck, now it costs 60 A bag of groceries used to cost 100 now it's 175 We know that to be real, and people do now look to government more than ever 
to try to address some of these grievances and concerns. What sort of message do you have for people in the real world not believing anybody in government listens to a single thing they say? Well, Biden and the Democrats came in with their agenda was to hurt any kind of, of fossil fuel, any kind of gas, you know, all petroleum, all that. They wanted to stop the drilling and change everything to you know, it, energy forms that are renewable. So they drove the prices up and drove us down this road. Now, they want to blame it on Putin. Don't believe it. Has the Putin uh, and, the, and the, the war made it worse? Absolutely. But we already turned the spigot off long ago. As soon as he got in office, the first thing he did was attack that and start denying all the permits and the exploration and, and the drilling pipelines, the whole industry. He, he tried to kill. He told us he was going to kill it. So blame him first on that. The second blame is inflation in general. I mean, you, my wife goes to the grocery store, and we're not poor enough that we can't afford groceries, but she comes back and complains, you know, hey, your life cereal went up to $5 a mm-hmm. box. You know, everybody's got that same scenario somewhere, but they flooded our government with so much money that I considered maybe we should send it back. Maybe we don't need to inflate our economy any worse. The problem is, is 49 other states weren't going to send it back. So if we sent ours back, we'd have probably been foolish. But there were arguments made on the House floor that we shouldn't be spending this. This is inflationary. We know that this money is, is going to make things worse. And you can see it happening. What do you make of DeSantis and Disney? I mean, you're elected official. You deal with the governor from time to time. Uh, the General Assembly in Florida um, voted to not continue a special, um, the Reedy Creek um, improvement. improvement district that was established in 1967 to give Disney special um, treatment. And I'm talking about, you know, Disney kind of governs itself. Um, what, what do you make of that? Oh, I like the way you say it. It's uh, it's not woke up Carolina, it's wake up mm-hmm. Carolina. And, and, you know, I tell you, our state isn't going to put up with things like that either. And uh, I was glad to see that pushback. I was you know, the 90% of the media is, is liberal, and and all of our states seem to be fighting who can get down the woke road the quickest. And we pushed back this week with CRT, and I'm glad to see Governor DeSantis telling Disney they're not on an island over there that they get to make all the rules, that there are market forces that will come back and bite them, and it did. And, and Philip, the, the, the problem with me, I'm the problem, and, I, and I'll let you get out of here, I mean, th- these are not fringe states i mean these are not this sit in california or new york this is georgia where major league baseball moved the all-star game this is uh, florida i mean they, these are not probably not as red as south carolina but but similar to south carolina in southern states with a kind of a conservative base and, and way of governance um is that i don't want to say is the general assembly equipped to deal with a woke corporation but but do you think about that at times? What if BMW or Boeing or Volvo or one of these mega companies that are domiciled in South Carolina? What if what if we got in a spat with them? I mean, do you play some of that out in a, in kind of um kind of a political mind game? Well, you can play back with politics, or you can just let the power of the purse take care of things. But sometimes you just gotta get loud and make sure people all get on that bandwagon. That's what they do to us. They get out there and they pay rent a mob to come out and stand in front of your office and, and, and make you feel so bad you've got to change your way of living and, and they make you become woke or else. Well, we have to fight back. I like this fight. This is this is one that's been a long time coming, but give Disney what they deserve. 
No question. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. Appreciate you hanging in there with us. Uh, we, we're not going to take a break now, Mike. We'll do another five or six minutes here before we take our our next break. Just want to let Lowe get out of here because he's got um, he's got more important things to take care of. And he's very kind <laughs> to give us. He stayed, or he stayed longer than he bought. Yeah, well, he did. So. He gave us a lot more of his time than we probably um, deserve. But I think it's important you guys hear from your elected officials and uh, and Representative Lowe is. Um, I mean, he's one of those dominoes that is moving around. Talking about a new speaker, um, we'll take the um, the helm this coming Thursday, and um, and Philip is a senior member on the Ways and Means Committee, and I would imagine there'll be some shuffling around uh, when that goes down. Uh, this, the, the majority of the system is predicated upon seniority, and uh, if someone's been there a couple of years longer than someone else, I've never um, given much credence to that. I don't like it, to be honest with you, uh, because just because you've been there longer doesn't mean you're better at it. You know, I've just never understood that. Uh but it's the way politics works um, across the country, and South Carolina you is, talk um, about, uh, is no different. The situation, you asked Representative Lowe about the Disney situation in Florida. Well, we're not too far from, you know, Disney owns a resort in South Carolina, Hilton Head Island. Yep, So, I mean, we, we haven't had the same issue, but it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. I just predict, and I don't know that I'm right here. Obviously, I have no clue if I'm right. But I predict that DeSantis did a lot of work that other Republican governors are not going to have to do. I mean, DeSantis was the first conservative Republican governor who kind of punched back. I mean, he didn't push back. This was a punch. You think it will make the woke corporations think twice well, before I mean, they step out there? I can't imagine. I mean, play, play this out in your head. Disney stock down 6%. Disney will be fine. I mean, they'll adjust accordingly. There are plenty of smart people uh, running that company. The company has an amazing uh, following. They have an amazing amount of money. I mean, they, they are unbelievably well-equipped to deal with whatever comes their way. A lot of companies couldn't. I mean, a lot of companies aren't as uh, deep-pocketed and entrenched and uh, um, creative and, and well-managed as Disney historically has been. But I just can't for the life of me imagine that a CEO who believed that it was worth risking the, the status of a special improvement district that gave them special privileges, uh, allowed them to govern themselves. I mean, this is, that's what it did. Uh, you know, we don't care what the governor says. We don't care what the legislature says. We've got this, um, what is it, 25,000 acres of land, and we do with it what we choose. It's a little bit like the Vatican on steroids. I mean, it's our country. We do with this what we choose to do with it. Well, if you believe as a CEO of a Fortune 100 company that it's worth you dabbling in the affairs of a, a bill that basically prohibited public school teachers from talking about sexual orientation or gender identity to kindergartners, first, second, third graders, you probably have the wrong CEO. I mean, can we not conclude that? I don't know. I mean, the guy probably went to Wharton. He might have went to Stanford. I mean, I'm sure he's highly educated. He graduated from one of these prestigious, you know, top 10 business schools in America. I mean, I, I don't have any idea what his pedigree is, but I would imagine he is highly accomplished, highly educated, but he screwed up. And, and, you know, when we screw up to that degree, there has to be some consequence. And, and he's not nipping around the, I mean, he basically said, well, I mean, give him a little credit. To begin with, he said, you know, hey, that, that's the legislature's fault and we're not getting the middle. I mean, that's their fight and we're not, you know, involving ourselves. And then some of the activist employees began to plead and encourage them to become involved. And out of that came Disney believing it made sense to risk their I mean, they've already proven themselves to be liberal. I mean, you would agree to that. I mean, the gay pride and some of the stances they've taken. Pretty woke. But but they've not been punished. 
I mean, we say we're not going to Disney, but we do. Why? Because they're real damn good at entertaining you. I mean, they just are. They're exceptional at it. Um, it's a little bit like a Chick-fil-A and, and Augusta National on steroids. I mean, when, when you think about places you have pleasant experiences, Chick-fil-A comes to mind. I've been fortunate enough to go to Augusta National. That comes to mind. Disney's another place. Now, if you buy food, that's another story. Um, can I finance that hamburger 90 days, same as cash? That's true. You say it's worse now than it ever has been. And I was reading you're some stories. You're kind of a Disney, I mean, you're an enthusiast. Absolutely. Been a big fan. Nerd. <laughs> well, true. Uh, went there a lot when the when the kids were younger. Made many, many trips to Disney World. and Stayed loved, on site. Loved them all. Yeah. Just great time. Hear that, Mike? Got a high roller with us. <laughs> that was before things have gone so I crazy. I stayed in Daytona. Drove two and a half hours <laughs> to, get to, to get to Disney. That's the only hotel I could find affordable. But N- I've been, Near the racetrack. <laughs> been reading a lot lately, and that's even before this, this last issue that uh, that super Disney fans have been really upset with the new CEO just based on how the, the prices have gone crazy. They feel like the quality has gone down, the experience has gone down, and the crowds lately have been really crazy. There's pent-up demand, I'm sure, over after a couple of years of uh, what they've been going through. But um, I've heard a lot of complaints about this CEO from super Disney fans for a while. The, the Okay. Well, I mean, Even so, before this. So if we were a little bit... Um, uncomfortable with the current CEO and he makes this decision, he's gone. I mean, he's got to be out of there. You made an interesting, let's hire Michael Eisner to come back as interim uh, yeah, CEO. You, I, I thought mean, he was a great CEO. Yeah, but I just think the guy's made a terrible, terrible mistake. And I think DeSantis pounced. I mean, it would be hard to argue that a Republican governor is going to lose by taking on a mega corporation in the name of sexual orientation and gender identity being taught to first, second, third graders. I mean, that's to me, there is no bad side. Politicians and political strategists calculate. They decipher. They decide whether they say yes or no, whether they do this or do that. I mean, there's always an internal um, strategy employed before you get to the public understanding it. And I just, for the life of me, can't understand anybody in DeSantis's camp. I mean, when DeSantis says, hey, should we or should we not take on Disney? Somebody in the room from Pamplico would have said, on this? Yes, <laughs> of course we should. I mean, why does anybody even ask that question? We're not talking about, you know, um, the state tax provisions. We're not talking about, you know, legalizing. Uh, I mean, no, we're talking about something as simple as teaching kids in first, second, third grade sexual orientation and gender identity. Of course, we'll take on Disney. We'll take on anybody. I mean, that's if we can't win that battle, shame on all of us. Let's go to the phone. Bert in Florence. Hi, Bert. You know, you guys have finally hit an issue that has me tied up in knots and confused as all get outs, and that's Disney. I have two children who have all their movies. We go down there every couple of years. They absolutely enjoy it. I never got to go as a child, so I'm absolutely enjoying it. And now I'm mad at them. And now I'm scheduled to go down there. We, we go down there for their birthdays in October. Their birthdays are three days apart, so we go for the week. So now I'm sitting here going, oh, we should cancel it. We should whatever. Only we're not going to. We're just not going to. It, it, you know, you got to explain to the kids why they can't go back. You got to explain to the wife why they can't go back. You enjoy it. But I'll tell you, the last time I was there, they took this mask business so extreme. They were yelling at four-year-olds. I mean, if that had been my first trip there, 
I would never have gone back ever. And that was the last time we were there. I was not happy at all. But I look at this whole, you know, knocking them out of their special privilege thing. And I think, oh, great. And the government's going to step in and start doing a really crappy job where Disney's been doing a really great job because you may feel like you spent a lot of money there, but you never leave there feeling like you got ripped off because those people go completely out of their way to make sure you're having a great time. So here I am with, yes, they should be slapped for getting involved in this and being political at all. And yet I have plans to go there. I have Disney Plus because my kids like to watch it. It is very confusing. I have no idea what to do about it. Thank you, Mike. Right. And I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah, a lot of people are conflicted there. That's a little bit like me in NFL. I mean, I get similarly conflicted with the NFL. I love football. They're the best football players in the world. Uh, but when I hear the nonsense they spew and some of the political stances they take that are against what I believe in and, when, and the way I want the country to be run, yeah, well, I mean, I think we all get ourselves. In politics, you call it getting in the box. I mean, there's a philosophy you ascribe to. There's a belief you have but there's also a set of circumstances that you don't have any control over. And we all do the best we can. Whether we call ourselves in the box or not, we are. It's just political vernacular, political verbiage when you say, hey, he's in the box. It's always kind of funny. When I was presiding over the Senate, uh, I would always know, because somebody would tell me, hey, he's a senator such and such, got himself in a box. <laughs> and I'd go, hell yeah, this would be fun to watch him, man. <laughs> entertaining, it's, huh? It's very entertaining, because when you preside, you don't do anything, so you're bored stiff. So you're sitting there with your purple robe all, you know, dressed in regal. Um, can't do anything but watch these guys do whatever they do. And then you somebody come up and whisper and say, well, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask the reading clerk. I'd say, hey, what, what about center such and such? He said, he got himself in that box, man. He's in the box. And I'm like, okay, I'll watch him this week. That'll be a lot of fun watching him maneuver around um, the box. Take a break. Back in a minute. 8430, ah, 843 Zero nine three seven is our number. What a zero zero zero. Thinking about my bank account. Yeah, I think you're just you're just getting ahead yeah, of yourself. I'm thinking about my bank account. I'm telling you. <laughs> TGIF. Yeah, right. Let's go to the phone. If you say the words faster and skip some words, maybe we we'll get to the end of the show quicker. That's what you're thinking. Uh, ben, uh, calling from Myrtle Beach. Hello, Ben. You're on the air. Hey, how are y'all this morning? Hey, Ben. Um, glad to be able to join you. Unfortunately, I can't listen to the whole show because I do work, but. I wanted to respond to the previous caller, and I didn't get to hear any callers before him, but I'm going to be unapologetically harsh. Um, What we have in the United States today is a lack of conviction, and either you believe one way or you don't. We have churches breaking apart because people are taking things softly and saying, well, you know, I really don't agree with that, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Or I really, you know, not just in churches, but in other things, I don't agree with that, but it's more comfortable for me not to do, uh, for me to go against my conviction than forcing somebody else to go against theirs. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. He didn't say give me liberty as long as it's comfortable. And we just, we, if you don't believe in it, don't do it. And it's as simple as that. I don't agree with what Disney's doing. I'm not going to Disney. I deleted the ESPN app from my phone, and unfortunately, WPDE, I've deleted your app as well because you're an ABC affiliate. 
I'm done with it until they change their ways. And that's my conviction. And I think we just need more backbone. And our kids need to see that our parents have backbone if they're going to have any conviction. Otherwise, they're just going to flounder around and have no way, no direction at all. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate that, my man. And conviction leads to what? It leads to conflict. Um, I think people are perfectly comfortably being convicted um, introspectively. Um, I have a conviction about this. I have a conviction about that. Dave has a conviction. Mike has a conviction. Ben has a conviction. Ben has allowed that conviction to motivate him to the point of creating conflict in his life. He won't have an ESPN app. He won't have a WPDE app. He's not going to, to Disney. That, that's not uh, conflict the way we define conflict, but it really is. I mean, it's kind of internally. I mean, I'm conflicted inside. Uh, Bert was talking about that a second ago. So, yes, I mean, I think conviction is something that is um, woefully missing in American culture and society. And I think the reason conviction is missing, because once you express your conviction, you invite conflict. And Americans, by and large, don't want no trouble. We just don't. We're, we're kind of like we've morphed ourselves into water. You know what water does when it goes downhill? It seeks the path of least resistance. And that's kind of what we've done. I don't want to do that, man, because that conviction leads me to a place of conflict. And that conflict means that I've got to take a stand. And if I take a stand, I may have to do without something. Um, and if I have to do without something, my life changes. And damn it, I like the NFL. I mean, I, I just like to watch the NFL. I still like riding Space Mountain. Yeah, there, there you go. There, there you go. I, you know, I like carrying my, my granddaughter to... Uh, to the to the Magic Kingdom, and what's the castle? I mean, what do they call the Cinderella Castle? Yeah, Cinderella castle. Um, and and all those things are cool. And but but yeah, I mean, conviction. Uh, I, I, you can be convicted and not conflicted, but are you really convicted? I mean, I, I'm convicted about things I believe, but I'll level with you. Uh, full disclosure, I don't, I don't want conflict. That there are some things in my life that that I don't shy away from. I mean, there's some. Uh, events in my life that have happened that I'm very proud of the way that I have uh, allowed my conviction to bring about conflict and addressing the conflict was something that I knew was worth it. I mean, I just absolutely knew it was worth it. You know, a lot of us understand, or a lot of us try to ponder and consider uh, when we get to a certain age, and I guess I'm getting middle age, I'm well in the middle age, um, but you begin to think about your mortality and your legacy and what sort of lessons uh, you've taught, what sort of um, uh, impact you've had. And I do think about my kids and um, some things I think I've failed on, some things I think I've succeeded on. I wish I was better at this. I think I did a pretty good job of that. Man, I wish I spent more time doing this. I'm really proud of the way I spent time with them uh, doing that. But the one thing, I and, and this is natural for me, so it's not that I had to make a concerted effort, but I want all three of my kids to understand that if you believe in something, believe in it. I mean, if you think something is worth standing uh, for, stand for it. If you think something is worth fighting for, don't be afraid to fight it. Because I think America right now, by and large, teaches us that the way – I'll give you an analogy. Um, I, 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 I got a lot of friends who do a lot of different things, but I got this one buddy of mine, probably as moral and ethical as anybody I know in the world, just does not want conflict. I mean, he's a man of conviction. But he just does not want conflict, and he'll discourage me. You know, we'll have these conversations, and I'll say, "Damn it, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it." He said, "Man, don't do that. What do you mean, don't do that? You can bring about all this conflict in your life, and for what? Because I believe in this, man. I mean, but it's not a big deal. It may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me, and and I, I'm proud 
um, that my kids have seen their father not be afraid to accept challenges and not be afraid to demonstrate some degree of conviction. Now, now rest assured, I've got a long list of things I didn't do well, and I wish I'd done much better, as most parents and husbands and wives, for that matter, have. But but they're, they're, that's one place that I've always, um, I'm not afraid to dig my heels in, and I'm not afraid to say I'm not moving, and the only way I will move is for you to shove me down. Um, and, and I got buddies who say, Man, that just introduces too much conflict into your life. Why do you want all that conflict? I don't want all that conflict. I would rather not have all that conflict, but I'm not going to live my life unconvicted and uncommitted to certain things that I believe are fundamentally important. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, David. Hey, good morning. Uh, I was listening to Robert Cahaley use a term, it's a treat. And I, that's a good old Southern term. And I, I had a treat the other night, man. I was watching baseball. Freddie Freeman went back, played against the Braves. That's kind of neat, man. Um, he's out in L.A. now. And, and I got to saw, I, I guess you call it the first base chatter. And to see him and those guys going to first base or whatever, and then getting to talk, that was kind of uh, neat. I don't think it's neat. Um, <laughs> I wish he was still in Atlanta. <laughs> Well, hey, I think it's neat for Freddie because he might get him another ring this year. Uh, but hey, got, hey, again, Matt not neat. Done pretty good. Matt, Matt Olson's done pretty good now, uh, Dane. True. Uh, yeah, he, he, that, that's a good trade. It's it's a future trade off. We gotta hey, feel good for Freddie. But you talking about uh, Ted Turner, CNN, nineteen eighty, uh, and I guess he was the owner of the Braves and all that good stuff and. And I think part of what he was doing is that when he first bought out, I mean, well, he started a thing. He didn't buy it, buy it out. He started a thing. He said he wanted to have fresh news. And and part of that, I, he wanted to promote his other network at the time. I think they got multiple networks or evolved into multiple networks. But it's a good example of somebody is going to buy something to promote their other networks you see, back in the day, you, you, you would just sponsor something uh, just to influence whoever uh, was watching the show. So, in other words, if somebody was watching a football game, you might promote uh, pickup trucks or beer or razor blades. But Ken, you brought this out pretty well in the in, here recently. Uh, these people are sponsoring these shows uh, to influence the viewer within this show. I mean, like Pfizer and, and all this kind of stuff. And then you see Disney, I mean, they own the show. Um, Amazon, they own the show. So we've gone from where you just had it where a sponsor was just trying to kind of casually influence the viewers. Now we see what happens when you own the show. Y'all have a good weekend. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You know, when you think of CNN, it had about a, what, a 15-year head start over Fox and MSNBC. If I'm not mistaken, CNN started – in 1980, Fox and MSNBC, I think, were within a year or so of one another. Google that. See, when did Fox News start? Was it 1995? I wanted to say 97. Okay, 97. Well, somewhere in the mid-90s. But CNN was in 1980, so CNN had about a, a 15-year head start over Fox and MSNBC. Because I think both those... Um, 96. Okay, 96. Both those started at about the same um, time. So, yeah, a 16-year head start on CNN. Excuse me, on Fox and a 16-year head start on... Um, you know, has this is an interesting question. Or to me, it is maybe not to you. Has cable news run its course? 
Remember the Norm McDonald uh, bit we talked about earlier this morning. Um, Norm McDonald argues, well, he did. He's passed away, but he's a comedian, highly sarcastic and a smart guy. But McDonald argued that the reason the news lasted 30 minutes in the good old days was that was about all the news there was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You didn't need more than 30 uh, minutes worth of news. And anything else was not news, but, you know, um, dramatic entertainment and sensationalism and all these other sorts of things. Um, he's probably got a point there. And, you know, to, to, to the point about divisions in America and the, the hyperbolic nature of politics in America today and uh, the confrontational nature of um, uh, the incivility, that'd be a better word, the incivility of politics in America today. Um, you know, we, we all get amped up. I get home, I watch Tucker. And then I watch a little bit of Hannity, and I've already watched Brett Baer. It's like they have to create news and conflict yeah, and, in order and to then, keep you engaged. And then my neighbor across the street is watching Rachel Maddow and uh, what's the other guy's name? Lawrence, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, O'Donnell, you know, and some of the other shows. And then you got Tapper and uh, Wolf Blitzer feeding their, uh, their formula to somebody else. And next thing you know, we all end up at the diner together. And you've watched CNN all day. I watch Fox all day. He's watching MSNBC all day, and we're as mad as hell at one another whether we know it or not. You know, I show up, and I, I want that cheeseburger, and I want it with Fox sauce on it. And I want mine with <laughs> MSNBC sauce on it. What do you mean you want yours with MSNB? Who are you? You un-American, unpatriotic. Well, what's the first thing? If pinko you get, liberal? If you get into a debate with somebody who's on the liberal side about issues, what's usually the first thing they say? Oh, you Fox News watcher Oh, yeah, there. yeah, you, you know, believe that nonsense they, to Fox they discount News. you. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, and that goes back to the censorship. Um, if you believe that Fox is a bunch of liars and you're told that over and over and over again, and you believe that Twitter does not censor and you're told that over and over and over again, then I walk into a, I walk into a bar and I say, Hey man, I've been watching Fox all day and I've been watching this Elon Musk story. And he's trying to buy Twitter because they censor. You look at me like I'm from Mars because you've not exposed yourself to any of that. I mean, you've, you've read the New Yorker and you've read the New York times and you've watched cbs news and i mean you look at me like i've got four heads what do you mean dude you're watching fox you believe that nonsense as if what he's watching is believable but but yeah i mean all of these markets and networks do is um kind of fan the flames and get everybody more amped up than is in our good or in our best our best health let's take a fall excuse me let's take a break we got a call we'll get to that call just as we return back in a minute Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Got some Pepsi of Florence trivia around the corner. Right now, let's go to the phone. Ricky in the PD. Hi, Ricky. 